Well, howdy there, dead and lovely listeners. It's me, your good buddy, Uncle Ben. Me, Hollywood Steve, didn't see you there. Oh, hey, hello, hi. And we're here to bring you guys the brand newest installment of the greatest horror movie podcast in this multiverse or the next. Why it's mm-hmm. dead and lovely. And we're here today to talk about Pasico. Pasai Cho. Sai Cho. Yep. From 19 and 60, as well as shoot the shit, catch up, drink a cold beer, and check in with a good buddy of ours on the preview palace portion of what? the show. It's going to be a fun one, but if you just want to get to the movie review, if you're one of those, one of those, you know, real squares, one of those real straight laced guys that doesn't want to hang out with the boys and crack open a cold one and be somebody, well, there's a timestamp for you. It's in the podcast description. In the it's meantime, right we're going to shoot the shit and hang out here a little bit. And Steve, the first thing that I've got to do is to say the king is dead. Long live the king. Right before we started recording this episode of the show, I just got news that Eddie Van Halen has passed away. And, uh, you know, we've had a few musicians that have died over the past few years. Of course, we lost Tom Petty, Prince, Neil Parrott, all these other players that, you know, we've all listened to our entire lives and stuff and have written a lot of incredible music, but... Dude, Eddie Van Halen is the first time I've had a musical hero that is like a direct tie to my instrument and the reason that I play the way that I do uh, die on us. And it really kind of struck me, dude. This is one of those deals where, you know, I said in like my Instagram posts and stuff, some of my first memories ever are like the sound of my mother's voice and the sound of Eddie Van Halen's guitar. Like, I literally don't remember life before van halen literally it's like that's just one of those things that has always been there and uh this is like an entirely new world for me now it's a whole new world i don't like what i'm seeing i don't like what i'm seeing i think the absence of eddie has not improved a goddamn thing hail to a legend uh just absolutely one of the most important figures in guitar history in music history can't say enough about the guy hail to the fucking king now, he, he did just die a few hours ago, though, right? That's correct. Now, not a lot's happened since. I will say this. The stock market was down today. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, that, they, I mean, are they related? Maybe. I mean, from what you're saying, though, the fact that you said that his death was just announced a few hours ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are three more days so that stone can get rolled away. You're not wrong. <gasps> What you think? Stone rolls away. He does a fucking jumping high kick, flying out of there. Does a tapping solo. Yeah, you might as well. You know, <laughs> there's still a possibility. That but would be great. I don't. I don't think it's gonna happen. I think we have lost a legend, unfortunately. No but doubt. Yeah, maybe man. he does come back after three days. <laughs> we'll wait and see. But yeah. in the meantime, thanks for all the incredible yeah, things seriously. that you gave us while you were here, Eddie. My God, man. including. Including uh, influencing one young Ben Eller. That is correct. He that did that to me. That is very important there. <laughs> but, you know, it's not all all been a bad week, I suppose you could say. That's kind of my, my bummer news of the week. But have you had a pretty good one so far? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't done much. Been watching anything good? Yeah. I've been having a, a good beginning to my October with uh, with some great movies, man. I started out with Hocus Pocus because I haven't yes. seen it since I was a kid. Oh shit! For real? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it is uh, it's silly. It's yeah, fun. it is. It's fun. It's very silly. 
it also um watching it reminded me that uh sarah sanderson has some weird uh relationships with children <laughs> you're talking about old sarah jessica parker in the uh-huh. city aren't you yeah 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 i don't know she... i don't see anything weird going on right there she uh i don't know <laughs> i couldn't see what you're talking about I'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about because young Steven recognized it because I remembered watching it as an adult thinking as a kid, oh, wait, witches are hot? Okay, right, (laughs) yeah. She was definitely putting off I want to fuck some little kid vibes. And young Steven was like, (laughs) yeah. But I was like, I mean, you know. Obviously not like, yeah, but like (laughs) young Steven was into it. I definitely remember Sarah Sanderson being like, wait a second. Uh, Now as an adult, I am not attracted to Sarah Jessica Parker, but I still get what I was into rewatching it. But you see why kids like her. Got it. (laughs) I'm wondering why she likes kids so much. She's a inappropriate. I would not let her babysit is what I'm saying. No, no, probably no. not. No. Yeah, probably leave her with one of the other witches. <laughs> so you are saying she did cast a spell on you as a child, and she witches did. are real. And witches are real, for sure. I uh, I also watched another witch movie. I watched The Craft. And uh, another, <laughs> oh. uh, another explanation of some uh, Steve witch boners. <laughs> witch boners? Yeah. You want to start a black metal band called Witch Boner? Because I, I absolutely do. do. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god dude the craft oh it's what a movie great. i did not remember like because i the last time i watched it i just kind of watched it with that like ha 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 this is uh so 90s view this time i was watching it, i was like wait you know a lot of people really do like this movie what, what what's up with this movie because even when i watched it in the 90s i remember watching it like this is supposed to be ridiculous right uh yeah. i think it's i think it's actually a pretty good movie uh, there. One of the villains is a uh, just a pretty blonde chick who is super racist, and uh, <laughs> I don't think the '90s presented that enough. Uh, yeah, but in the yeah in the craft, what's her name? Uh, the, the Marsha Brady, uh, Ben Stiller's ex-wife. Oh yeah, yeah. She's in it, and she she just plays like a racist rich white girl, uh, and she's <laughs> she's bad. Uh, and then also the white trash angle was interesting because it was like they get like $175,000 and I was like yeah $175,000 is a lot of money there's a lot more in 96 but it's still not like a lot of money and then like they buy oh I guess they didn't even buy they just get an apartment and then like they just have a couch and a jukebox like it's (laughs) it's so appropriately white trash I was like wait like this is really well developed characterization I, I I was more into that movie than I thought I was going to be. So, The Craft, thumbs up. Is this the episode where you finally come out as Wiccan and you're like, I'm Wicca now? No, well, that's still ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go <laughs> overboard here. Witches are hot, but I mean, no, I mean, Satan's not real and there are no, uh, no energies in the universe that you can manipulate with good vibes. <laughs> Try to tell that to the Beach Boys. <laughs> god that's awesome man okay any other good ones you picked up this week uh yeah i i I watched cabin in the woods which is always great Um, so good 
Yeah, I watched uh, uh, Evil Dead, which is always great. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I also checked out a new one, and I, I'm trying to do this for October, trying to t t watch some newer movies. Vampires versus the Bronx, which just uh, went up on Netflix recently. Um, not great. Uh, yeah. It's 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 attack the block, basically, but with vampires. Okay, that sounds all right. Yeah, it's it's a cool premise, and and there's I mean it's it, it's got Monster Squad and and uh, Lost Boys vibes too, but it's I, I'm I'm not. I'm not saying rush out to watch it, but I'm also saying like it's all right. It was watchable. There was some pretty good humor to it and good performances for sure. Right on, man. That sounds yep. up my alley at least. Yeah, check it out, man. This week I've been watching all kind of things. I'm with you. I also tried to branch out and watch some things that I had not seen before because I'm like really bad about watching the same movies every Halloween, you know. Yeah. So we checked out a few things that I had not seen. We watched that new Babysitter Killer Queen on Netflix. Oh, it's right. like the, the sequel, sequel to The Babysitter. Uh-huh. Right. How was it? It's it's fine. It's not like this <laughs> okay. is one of the greatest movies ever made or anything like that. Uh it's got some really, really, really way over the top deaths and gore and stuff in it that's actually pretty well done. Oh, that's uh, cool. Overall, the tone of the whole thing is like quite a lot sillier than the babysitter. So uh, I'm pretty right. okay with them kind of like, um, yeah, taking it more in that direction. Yeah, I would I would say silly would benefit the babysitter. That was I think my my major flaw or my major qualm with the babysitter was mm -hmm. that it it thinks it's cool. <laughs> like it, yeah, it was like kind of got that. Yeah, yeah, it was trying to be too cool. But yeah, if you add some silliness to it, that that works. Yeah, so it was all right. Totally worth a watch. Like oh, you said okay. about uh, the vampire flick there, it's like you don't have to like stop what you're doing right now and watch it. But yeah, just put it on sometime. Watch some people's heads explode and stuff. You'll have a pretty good time. I watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. That was from like, oh, what was that, 2003, man. I think? 2003, yeah, yeah. It's a movie. It is uh, a motion picture, yeah. I mean, I appreciate in that movie that it's not a direct 100% remake of the original. Like right. They get to a lot of the same beats and stuff yeah, as did. what the uh -huh. original had, but in kind of a different way that's not too different. Right. You know, I mean, like, you know, last week on the show, we did the, the 2013 Evil Dead, which was just a full-on, bold yeah. reimagining, like, let's scrap it all and just have little nods to the original, but do something totally different with this thing. Yeah, the, the Texas Chainsaw remake is like one-third of that level of commitment. Well, okay. I'm going to talk about it a little bit when we get to, to Psycho. I, I'm going to talk about the remake and, and, and like what was going on there. But this is early in that remake boom. And mm -hmm. they were still trying to figure out how much you had to change yeah. to... To, like, get people still in and also have them not leave and feel ripped off. But also, you didn't want to change it too much, they thought. Uh, but by 2013, they realized, like, you know, maybe you could just branch way out. And as you said, Evil Dead succeeds in doing that branching way out. But yeah, that, that Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it just, like, has those slight changes that do help it to stand out as different. But it's also, like... There's not, it's not adding anything, I feel like. I haven't seen right, it in a while. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're you're not wrong there. Um, it's like there's sort of like a, a sliding scale of like remake innovation, and yeah. it's like on on mm -hmm. the far left of that scale is the Psycho remake, where it's yeah, like, which is well, it's just literally yeah. remake mm -hmm. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the extreme polar opposite of that, I would say you have like the Suspiria remake, where it's like right. let's take this completely in another direction. People are the same by name and location. That's pretty much it. We're gonna do something completely different with it. Yeah, TCM is more on the left side of the scale there. Yeah, it's a lot you know? closer. Yeah, It's not terrible, honestly. I mean, it's not like this is absolute unwatchable garbage, but yeah. it's just not really worth watching. It's like it doesn't do anything better than the original. And also, too, like it has that totally, you know, millennial grimy filter kind of thing on mm, the whole movie. Yeah, I hated that about it for sure. The The amount of dark to it. It's like yeah. way darker in Texas Chainsaw Massacre is bright most of the time, which adds to the terror. Exactly. Because that's the thing, man. It's like whenever movies have that that look to them, as I've said in the past, it just reminds you that you're watching a movie. Right. Whereas yeah. in Texas Chainsaw, it's like it doesn't look like they put any care into setting up lights to make the actors look flattering or anything no. like that. Like you just feel like a fly on the wall. And that's why the yeah. movie's so effective. Uh, to me, whenever you have that kind of look to a movie, it usually just succeeds in pulling me out of it and making me not feel like I'm watching something fucked up happening, you know? Right. And Marilyn Burns versus Jessica Biel. Like, I know Jessica Biel's famous and Marilyn Burns wasn't, but Marilyn Burns is better by oh, far. Oh, man. Absolutely amazing, dude. Yeah. Um, I also watched Casper the Friendly Ghost. Oh, yeah? I haven't seen that in a long time. I hadn't seen it in 36 years, which is to say I had never seen what? it. What? Well, how'd it go for you? You know, it was fun. It was one it of those ones one. that like mm -hmm. like Kate put on because she she used to watch it when she was a kid and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm you know I'm cooking dinner, whatever. Like it's on, but I'm not paying attention to it. But I just kind of found myself being like, oh, this is actually pretty entertaining. And there's all kinds of fun stuff in there. You've got a a Dan Aykroyd Ghostbusters cameo <laughs> in it, right? Yep. <laughs> Also, it has the Crypt Keeper in it for just a second. Right. So th that, uh, yeah, I recently watched a video about this, actually, that connects the Ghostbusters universe, Casper, and uh, Tales from the Crypt, but also Casper then connects you with the Archie universe, which is connected to Predator, because there's been Predator versus Archie. So, <laughs> technically, Ghostbusters and Predator are in the same universe. Wow, which is now owned by Disney, so also Marvel Universe is connected to that right. too, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool. There's a world where that's happening. I want to go to there. That sounds like yeah. quite the multiverse for sure. It also seems like a place of planet, like absolutely terrible place to own a home. It's going to yeah. get destroyed at some yeah. point. <laughs> it's getting leveled, man. Yeah. <laughs> and we also watch Beetlejuice because, of course. Oh, man. Of course. Why wouldn't you watch Beetlejuice? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. And oh, yeah. I, I definitely want to watch that one before the month's out because I've been trying to trying to find fun ones. That's why I went with Cabin in the Woods and, and Hocus Pocus. And I, I really want to to get into the spirit, but I wanna like enjoy it. I wanna I want this to be not a a, a scary Halloween. We've had enough scary all year. You yeah. know? <laughs> I just want no it doubt. to be like fun. I want it to be relaxed. And it has been so far. The craft, man, that was that was a blast. You need to get you a Shaun of the Dead in your world. You need to yeah, get your absolutely. Beetlejuice in there. Mm -hmm. Beetlejuice. Uh-huh. Yeah, probably Sleepy Hollow. That one's fun. 
Yeah, uh huh, for sure. I think the only thing that I watched this week was a documentary called Seventy Eight Fifty Two. Yeah, which is a documentary that our good buddy Brandon Suttles turned me on to, and it's a documentary that you can watch for free on Hulu, and. It's just basically all about the shower scene in Psycho, yep. as, as told through the eyes about of, that one scene. Yeah, yeah, as told through the eyes of like all kinds of other writers, directors, movie stars. I mean, everybody is in this, from like Brett Easton Ellis to um, what's his name that did Doctor Moreau? He's in there a bunch. He is uh, Richard Stanley. Yeah, Richard uh, Stanley. Uh, yeah. Elijah Woods in there with his, uh, uh, I guess. Uh, podcast partners mm-hmm, right um yeah and who else was in there there were a number of just so many people showing up just with commentary about this one scene yeah and they mentioned in the documentary too that they really wanted to get uncle ben and hollywood steve on but as we hadn't yeah. reviewed the movie by the yeah, we, the, we the time they're making abstain. it yeah yeah we're like, nah, yeah, we were guys. like sorry guys like yeah we've not done it on the show yet so we're gonna have to turn this one down i think we made mm-hmm. the right choice I think they'll probably do like a part two after this episode. Yeah, and just I think have they probably us, should. Just have us on for an hour and a half. <laughs> it would just make sense. <laughs> it makes all the sense in the world. You know, Steve, last week on the show for the Preview Palace mm-hmm. portion of the episode, we had a good buddy on to chat about the Evil Dead franchise, our good friend That's right. Zach Householder from Whitechapel, mm-hmm. and I just had such a dang old good time turning this show into a thruple. Usually yeah. we're just a dynamic duo, but I love that thruple dynamic. Yeah, you want to get a triangle going on? I think we just need to get All ourselves right. a little man triangle going on and have ourselves a returning guest to get on here and chat about all things Psycho and Hitchcock related. It's the guy that I know that is the biggest authority that I've got in my corner on old AJ Hitchk. <laughs> this is a feller what's been on the show somewhat recently on our yeah. Changeling episode. You guys know him. You love him. You've helped him battle cancer by donating to his GoFundMe. It's our good buddy, Brandon Suttles, once again. Say what's yeah. up, Brandon. Hey, everybody. Yeah. How's it going? going hey. well. Yeah, Brandon. Brandon. All I want to know is if this is a triangle, who's at the top and who are the two bottoms? Oh, no. No. <laughs> look out. Uh, Where does... Where does the bottom even start? <laughs> it might just be a straight line if we're just all bottoms. I don't know yeah. how that works. All bottoms. <laughs> if we're turning into a human centipede now. Ooh, yes. Oh, okay. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> how are you doing, Brandon? Oh, I'm okay today. Not not too bad. It's not been horrible. Thank you. All awesome. right. That's excellent. I'll take it, man. I'll take yeah, it. Me too, and my friend. I, I want to take a second here to say a huge thank you to all the dead and lovelies that have contributed to Brandon's GoFundMe and his battle against cancer. It's been amazing to see the support that you guys who are you know, total strangers, who most of you guys have never even met Brandon, have been willing to you know donate to him and just toss a couple bucks his way to help him in his fight. Uh, just based on our recommendation, I, I appreciate that more than you know, and I'm sure you do too as well, Brandon. Yes, thank you all so much. I really am overwhelmed by the support and the kindness that everyone has shown. Thank you yes. all so, so much from the bottom of my heart. Hell yeah, man. So yeah. yeah, you guys are the best. And Brandon, we are here today talking about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho from 1960. And you are the guy that I think has seen more Hitchcock flicks than anybody that I know. You're a bit of a mm. fan, aren't you? Just just a little bit. Ever little since bit. I was a kid, ever since I was a kid, I, mm-hmm. I 
um, obviously uh, got introduced into Psycho at a very young age and then got got going from there. And then, you know, I learned a lot in film school. You know, uh, Hitchcock was definitely a big director taught in film school, but I was, already, yeah. I was already a fan since I was a little kid. So uh, it never bothered me watching black and white films or anything like that. And I even remember seeing that good old remake in theaters being excited and then, you know not being excited yeah. <laughs> you were like, excited until I've you weren't this before <laughs> <laughs> dude it's why did that happen why did they make that we'll talk about it yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but whenever you watch the original psycho is that one that was like immediately something that grabbed you that you really enjoyed yeah it wasn't even just uh just filmmaking alone but um obviously everybody thinks the same the the score by bernard herman is oh man I yeah. mean, he's, so he's one of the greatest composers of all time. Um, it's absolutely incredible. And I mean, the music haunts you forever. And mm-hmm. you could, you could, if you put the movie on mute, it still kind of works, but it doesn't work the same without the music. The, no. the music mm-hmm. makes the movie. I mean, the editing, of course, is some of the right. most, most brilliant editing out there, but the music makes it. Yeah, totally. He's he's like the Kanye West of film score composers, right? Yes. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 100%. Every time I think Bernard Herman, I think Kanye West. <laughs> it's indistinguishable to me. Same person. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and while this was Alfred Hitchcock's first foray into the horror genre, it's not necessarily the only flick that this guy has made that would probably appeal to horror fans. I know no. that he's got a lot of other flicks out there that kind of straddle that line of thriller, suspense, horror. And yeah. I know that you've got some recommendations up your sleeve that you might recommend for fans of Psycho and fans of horror movies that they should check out. Am I right? You were correct, uh, sir. Uh, the <laughs> You know, everyone obviously loves Vertigo and Psycho, Rear Window, Birds, all that. Yeah. Uh, those are all classics, but uh, yeah. some of my, my other favorites, that some I didn't learn until I, I got into college even because they were either not really released because of... Uh, um, usually like distribution rights and studio mm-hmm. rights and stuff like that. Out of print and but, stuff, yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the top of my list, one of my favorites is a, is Rope. It's such an amazing film and you, you, you think of Psycho and how amazing the editing is and then you look at Rope and how he uses the lack of editing to make it suspenseful. And um, I actually just rewatched this today and it's really, it's really impressive that the movie tackles more than just like murder and suspense but i saw a lot of like tackling homosexuality mm, back wow. then and your your two main characters are you know two men that are you know really close friends and they've done this murder you don't necessarily fully know why besides entertainment purposes and mm. there's all this there's this hint of homosexuality and the, and mm. the movie was like it was I don't know if it was quite banned in other places, but it was knocked for being very homoerotic in some places and everything. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah and I picked up on a, on a lot of that and I found it very intriguing and interesting. I don't think it's something I really picked up on it when I was in college. Um, but the, the acting is incredible. And you know, the main character is also named Brandon. So oh, well, <laughs> that's, winner. that's, that's a, that's an instant winner for me right there. <laughs> now, isn't that, isn't that film? Doesn't it star Jimmy Stewart? Oh, Jimmy Stewart. Oh, it's me. Oh, I got Stewart. Rope. It does. Uh, old, old Jimmy uh, doesn't come in until like 40 minutes into the film yeah, though. Wow. So he's not, he's not fully a main character. And from what I remember, I don't think he was, 
a huge not a huge fan of the movie but i th- i think he thought that he was miscast for the role mm, huh um okay but y- your your main characters are john Dahl that plays brandon and mm. um farley granger that plays philip those are your two yeah. main people um that you watch and you know it's very much like a play um it tried is, to yeah. look like one one long take the um and they did what they could with cutting behind backs of uh people's coats and everything to do edits mm. and everything it's it's pretty okay. creative it's That's wild cool. yeah because also too i mean back then they could film isn't it about like 12 minutes before the reels ran out yeah like 12 to 15 minutes yeah. something like that and then they just had to stop the reel so they had to get creative now there's some like just there's a few normal cuts in the film because there's sometimes there was just no way around it yeah but right. you, you really you really don't notice it it's not something you pick up on it's not like you're sitting there thinking this is still one long take you just get so caught up in the in the mystery and the thriller that mm. it doesn't bother you at all very cool movie i love that one. that's one of my favorites too also i would have to say um more on the horror based stuff as far as hitchcock goes earlier work rebecca is one of my also tops rebecca. I, I think i've heard you rebecca. talk about it i don't know it yeah it's a it's a like gothic love story uh gothic love ghost horror story oh. i guess so to, so to speak but it was in 1940 um and it's an absolutely incredible it's got Lawrence olivier and uh joan fontaine and uh it's fantastic but if you like gothic horror rebecca is definitely right up your alley and it's got a hell of an ending that i definitely don't want to spoil okay cool i'm intrigued now that's that's one that i've not seen is it a black and white flick it is Okay. Uh, actually, uh, back to Rope, I think Rope was his very first uh, film in color. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, if I huh. remember correctly. Yeah, I'll have to check out Rebecca then. I'll look for that on the old streaming yeah, service I, and I see what I can find. That. Yeah, Rebecca's great. Um, and then I also put up there uh, The Lady Vanishes, which was in mm. ni- 1938. Whoa, that is yeah. It's very old. Uh, uh, Margaret Lockwood was the main actress in it, and it's incredibly, incredibly scary, I think. Wow. Um, I would say it probably leans more... I think it's a, probably a little bit gothic horror story again. He does a lot of the, does a lot of that, but it's very murder mystery. You know, the the ambiance of the film is just very dark and brooding. It's, it's really, really, really awesome, especially for the time frame when it was made. It's incredible. Hmm. Wow, okay. Lady Vanishes. Yeah. What's the basic plot going on in that one? In The Lady Vanishes? Yeah. Um, it's like the this couple is traveling uh, to Europe, and they're like, uh, a rich playgirl is like, realizes this elder old lady uh, has disappeared from a train, and it's like, if you like Agatha Christie type stuff, um, mm. then this is totally right up your alley. Okay. Um, again, this is another one with a very, very twist ending that you don't want to have spoiled but it's super amazing it's beautifully shot um it's it's absolutely it's just incredible and i've been a fan of it since i think i found that one out in college back in back when i took my first film class is when i found that one out but i think criterion has a a release of it now is the twist that she's actually the invisible woman Yes. Ooh, okay. Okay. Oh, I figured it out. All right. Yeah, <laughs> Myth busted. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, those are those are definitely some stuff to check out. You got any other in the chamber for the horror fans? Um, my last one would be this one's kind of pretty uh, well available. I think it's on Prime. Um, it's called Lifeboat. Lifeboat. Oh, yeah. I know that one. Like I these do people. Not know that one. These people are like 
uh, torpedoed like merchant ships in World War Two, and oh, they're like, surviving on yeah, they're surviving <laughs> on this lifeboat. It's really creepy. It's like open water without the sharks. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like the humans or the sharks? Yeah, you know people. Oh. You know how people are. Um, That's scurry. But it's incredibly well done, and it's you have a a main character that is also African American, which is. Oh, you know, boy, wow. unheard of at that time. Unheard of at that time. Wow. Yeah, this was uh, 1944. Okay. Holy moly. So, yeah, so it's it's pretty amazing, I'm, and I'm almost positive it's on Prime. Okay, so definitely some homework I need to be doing here, huh? Yeah, th- I mean, there's some there's some great Hitchcock stuff out there. I mean, Spellbound, uh, Dial In for Murder. I've seen that one, yeah. Yeah, Notorious. These are all mm-hmm. um, 39 Steps. These are all uh, other yeah. classics that, that I really, really love. Uh, but... Those main ones that I named off are some of my favorites that a lot of people don't usually mention, maybe except for Rope. Right, yeah, because yeah. I, w- I would say that's probably the most well-known one that you named yeah, off there. Yeah, the ones think... you said, that's the only one I, I had any knowledge of. <laughs> yeah, 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 and this Rope is just so fantastic. It's, it's, just... it's absolutely awesome, man. Do you think that Psycho is kind of top of the heap for Hitchcock's horror repertoire? Do you think that is the best one? Oh, man, that's, um, yeah, it's definitely his best Probably not my favorite. Okay. Yeah. But it's it's his best easily. Like there's no there's no doubt about it. I uh, I think I lean a little bit more toward Rebecca sometimes wow. as being one of my favorites. Uh, mm-hmm. But Psycho is obviously his better work. Well, let me ask you what it is you think that holds Psycho back from being at the top of the heap for your favorite. Is there any particular aspect of it that you think doesn't hold up? No, I, actually, I, there's nothing really that that doesn't hold up for me in okay. Psycho. E- even the, you know, the, was it the 60s? Like that, mm-hmm. you know, that style. Yeah, even that like style of acting and all that stuff. None of that stuff bothers me. It it holds up really well. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm sure you talked about the, the music still holds up perfectly well. Even, yeah. you know, as Ben has said before, that even Busta Rhymes sampled it. So, I yeah. mean, <laughs> it's, it's, in, it's incredibly. That's incredibly, how you know it's good. Yeah, yeah. That's, how, that's how you know it's good and it's held up. So, no, it, I mean, obviously it's still one of my favorites and everything like that. But uh, for some reason, I've always been attracted to Rebecca. I just thought it was a, just a really incredible film. Nice, man. Well, maybe if one day we get around to doing some of those on the show, we'll have you back to dive deeper into those. Since yeah. I mean, me, me and Steve are both pretty undereducated in ways of Hitchcock. Yeah. I didn't even know that Psycho was like damn near his 50th movie. I did know uh, that, right? but I, I didn't know any of those movies you named. I yeah. knew that, like, I knew a couple of the titles, sort of, but yeah, I, I my Hitchcock knowledge is too low, and I want to fix that. No doubt. I, it just makes some good stuff, I and mean, then you can get into you know, Alfred Hitchcock Presents and his... Yeah, television show and all that. Yeah, which I remember seeing that as a kid a lot. On I know, right? Nick at Night and stuff. Nick yeah. at Night, that was yeah. it, man. That was the best. We'll definitely have to dig deeper into some of those and hopefully get you back on the show again to talk some of those out for us and educate us on all things cockery. I love, yes. <laughs> well, Brand, thank you so much for tuning in here uh, and, and calling into the show here to be a part of this preview palace. We're happy to have you back. Happy that you're doing well and stuff, man. Always a pleasure to talk with you. All right. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, thank you all to the Dead and Lovely Podcast family. I appreciate you guys so much. Y'all are great. Um, and I, I love uh, Uncle Ben and Hollywood Steve. They're great people. I love you guys. Thank Woo. you so much for love everything you, too, you do. Woo. Love you. 
Hell yeah, man. And everybody be sure to donate to Brandon's GoFundMe. We'll put the link to that yeah. in the podcast uh, description and stuff that you can click on there. That way you can make a donation. Help our boy so Brandon much. out. Always a joy having some company here in the dead and lovely house. But you know what, Steve? All of that talking and jabbering away and chin wagging we've been doing yeah. is, man, it's got me parched. I tell you, my 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 chin—it's just wagged out. I, I think it needs mm-hmm. to be lubed up. Yeah, I think so. I think you should probably throw a co beer in there. Yeah, I think we ought to throw an Icarus Brewing co beer in our faces. Oh, where did we get these from? We got these from Lamar, who got them from Matt Barnish, the taproom manager at Icarus Brewing. And oh, uh, we've we've tried a couple in the past. We did the Hey Hermano and just a tribute, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a few weeks ago. This week, what are you what are you doing? What do you got over there? The one I've got is called We Want the Gold, and it is an Imperial India Pale Ale. It's got like a like a Mayan sort of pyramid, Aztec kind of pyramid here on the front. And it says Imperial India Pale Ale, copiously dry hop with El Dorado, Mosaic, and Columbus hops. This is a 8.1 percenter, so it should be effective. Wowzers! Yeah, <laughs> that does sound effective. Now, what ben, you sipping I'm, on? I've got me a Bang Kitty. It's called I'm Imperial IPA. It's got Ooh. a little, uh, you know, the the little waving kitty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's got one of those on it. See, it says it's heavily weeded. I'm excited for this. Ooh, and oated. So oated. I'm going to be a fancy horse. I was going to say, you're going to be living like a fancy horse here in just a second. <laughs> nice. Like got some lactose brewed with lemongrass, Thai basil, and Thai chilies. All right. What? Holy moly. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, It's dry hopped with lupulin citra. Idaho 7 and Experimental Brew 1. Oh, oh. What the hell? Am I going to turn into a superhero? I think so, because that's the thing. Is like You describe the beer, this. and I'm like, are you having a liquid Thai meal? And then it's yeah. like, also, you're drinking Experimental Hops. <laughs> oh, wait. I've just ordered a curry. Shit. <laughs> um, Dang it. I'll be having a curry as we talk. <laughs> so, so mine is a yeah. beautiful, beautiful golden color. Uh, it's mm. got a nice hazy appearance to it. Quite a little frothy head going on on top. Seems nicely effervescent. Yeah, this it one smells looks nice lovely. Woohoo! Oh yeah, this smells like this smells like lemongrass and basil. Clearly, oh, man. this brewery knows what's nice. They like For things real. that are nice. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get me a taste of this. I'm intrigued by the the Thai basil and stuff in there too, because I imagine that with an IPA flavor will be very interesting. What's yeah, that? Yeah, that's what I was you? thinking. It it's sweet. It's got that. It's got coconut like sweetness. Oh, it says it's finished with coconut. So okay, that's why it tastes like coconut. Uh, oh man, it's like a. You can tell the lemongrass is in there, but it's not. It's not overwhelming. It's I'd say good. that with an IPA works really well because all those citrus good. flavors yeah. go good with IPAs. You know. Yeah, it's working well together with that that uh, the citra hops. Man, dude. Yeah, this is tasty as hell. This thing that I've got over this way, holy moly. I think that it's what Lizzo drank when she wrote that good as hell song. <laughs> All right. Uh, the, the heat is starting to show up on this. I forgot there were yeah? chilies in this. Yeah. There's some heat in there. 
Dude, this thing is absolutely fantastic. Like, it's got some of that, you know, really nice pineapple-y, citrusy, tropical kind of notes to it. Ooh. But at the same time, I don't know. Like, the finish of it and stuff is almost like a nice hoppy lager more than it is, like, an IPA. Like, it doesn't have that, oh. like, sweet IPA heaviness to it. It's got, like, a little bit of a lager-like backbone to it that is awesome because it's kind of wow. keeping it from being too sweet you know that sounds awesome this is really really good man that's that i'm good. very that's that good gold. That. it's that I gold i don't know where the gold at <laughs> i love gold <laughs> <laughs> dude one day on the show wild card we'll do fucking austin powers because yeah. i don't know if i've seen austin powers since i was maybe 19 um the first one has some stuff that doesn't hold up great but it's still very funny second one still very funny third one <laughs> not great we watched them recently I, don't, I remember when it was but emily and i were like let's watch austin powers and still funny i mean if you never thought austin powers was funny you're not gonna think it's funny now but if you thought austin powers is funny it's still mike myers it's still funny right on well i'll tell you what is definitely great other than these co-beers it's the what movie is? that we're going to be talking about today. Why? Psycho. It's Psycho from 1960. The oldest movie we've done on the show and yep. the first Alfred, excuse me, mm-hmm. Sir Alfred Hitchcock right. movie. Yes, yes. Yes, that we've done here. I like to call him on AJ. The show. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. AJ? Yeah, yeah. His middle name's Joseph, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. A- anyway. AJ Itchy Cockney. Yeah. AJ and I are uh, birthday bros. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, born on same day as me in 1899. Three Damn. years after my own birth. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. It's cool for yeah, you guys. Yeah. I remember holding him. <laughs> he was a little baby. Oh, look at him. Little, little chubby cheeks. <laughs> little oh, baby, little big right ass chubby cheeks. Oh. <laughs> and I assume that this is not the first time you've seen to this and is it? No. No. Yeah. Psycho. Uh, I remember seeing Psycho as a kid several times and also watching the sequels to Psycho um, a good bit as a kid and don't know why I had never gone back to the sequels to Psycho, which I did after I watched this. But uh, yeah, I've seen Psycho so many times um, as a kid and then as an adult. It's it's a classic. It's one that's, uh, you know always high on lists of best of movies or best of horror movies so you gotta go back to it you gotta you gotta check it out from time to time and i think uh still holds up the works of the old masters yeah 60 years later it still still does a, <laughs> a an effective job uh how about Man, you ben? i'll tell you this dude i thought that i had watched this movie like a long time ago and maybe i did but maybe. watching it through this time I was realizing I remembered next to nothing of this movie other than the key, you know, pop culture knowledge scenes that everybody knows. Even the people that haven't seen this movie have seen those scenes, like the shower and stuff like that. I had forgotten so much of the story. I'm like, I wonder if I ever watched this all the way through start to finish or if I just Mm. saw parts of it. Because as a kid, uh, as I've talked about many times on the show, I couldn't watch horror movies and stuff like that. But I was allowed to watch stuff like The Twilight Zone and the reruns of the Alfred Hitchcock uh, Presents show. Because they would run those on like Nick at Night and stuff. And I do remember watching those and watching movies like 
the birds and vertigo and stuff like that whenever I was a kinder kid, a child child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this might have been one of those ones that I could watch when I was like eight. But if you're watching this movie as like an eight-year-old, you're probably not fucking paying attention to it. Yeah, probably not. It's yeah, yeah it's not going to hold your attention. I don't think as an eight-year-old, it's it's slow developing and definitely uh, the the music serves a lot in this movie because we don't get to the action until like 40 minutes into the movie <laughs> oh sorry for a second there i, I must have zoned out because i thought that you were talking about me as a child slow developing but the music helped a lot <laughs> okay never mind <laughs> dual purpose it works <laughs> either way yes <laughs> i mean this might as well have been the first time that i watched this movie dude because in my head going into this i really thought that the movie like effectively started with the shower scene like i thought it was like 10 minutes into the movie five minutes into the movie like scream where you know it's like oh man movie star is dead what the hell i didn't expect that anyway now the actual movie starts i didn't realize or remember all of this plot with her you know taking this money to run away and and you know start this life with this guy and all that jazz and that's how she ends up at the hotel and it's it's like 45 50 minutes into the movie that she gets killed and the tone of the movie completely changes. Uh, I think this is effectively, it might as well have been the first time that I saw this movie. Okay. Okay. So, but impressions, how was it? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, this is one of those flicks that obviously has been studied and picked apart by college professors and students and film students and film critics. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? It's like one of those ones that like, what can you say about it uh, that hasn't already been said? Because this is one of the most historic, important movies of all time. Not just in terms of like what it did for horror. No, what it did for movies, period. And I don't think I realized how much this movie changed the landscape of film, not only in terms of what is shown on screen and the way that films are edited and the way that films are scored, but also the way that, you know, this changed the way that people go to the movies. This is the first movie that had a designated start time, like the movie theater right, will yeah. Spoiler, start spoilers showing Spoilers were, it. like, discouraged and stuff. And yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was like, you know, they would, they would put things out in the lobby that are like, Psycho starts at 8. If you're not in the theater at 8 o'clock, you're not let in because they didn't want to spoil anything. Um, I'll actually listen to this really fascinating, it's like a six part podcast series. Uh, I want to say it's called inside psycho, if I'm not mistaken. And I listened to that, um, last week kind of in preparation for the movie. And it talked about like the making of this and the book and Ed Gein and all the lead up to everything that, you know, put this movie in motion really, really well done. It was one of those, uh, like kind of fun, kind of cheesy podcast where it's like telling the story, but there's also like Foley work and like soundtrack stuff to like illustrate what he's talking about and shit, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, it was kind of fun, actually. Like at first I was kind of put off by it and then I was like, oh, actually this is like pretty cool. It's kind of drawing uh-huh. me in. Uh, but I didn't realize the extent that this movie changed all of these things. Uh, and you're right, that spoiler free kind of viewing experience was taken so seriously as to like okay alfred hitchcock had assistants go around like all over the fucking country apparently and buy as many copies of the book as they could because they didn't want people reading the book like yeah it's nuts 
Yeah. Uh, and that they really went out of their way to try to avoid spoilers. And then uh, the Hollywood trade magazine spoiled it like well ahead of time. But most people didn't read those. So it worked. Most people yeah. actually didn't tell people the, the twists and things. And people went and saw it because they heard word of mouth. It didn't have a great opening weekend. Uh, but then went on on less than a million dollar budget to make fifty million dollars. So holy moly! Yeah, and and sixty percent of the negative uh, belonged to Alfred Hitchcock. Meaning what? Whatever yeah. they did with the negative, from from showing it to putting it on home video, all of that stuff, he got sixty percent of that. That is absolutely nuts. That's up there with like Jack Nicholson's back end deal on Batman. Yeah, uh, but this in this case, Paramount fucked themselves because Paramount didn't want to do it. They thought one that it it, it wouldn't adapt well to screen anyway, and then two, they thought it was like lewd and lascivious. So uh, Hitchcock took on the cost of, of making the film himself. They wow. distributed it. Which, of course, is why he was willing to give up 40%. Distribution is is expensive. Uh, but getting to retain 60% of, of the negative is, is insane. It ended up being, in today's money, he made $120 million. Holy shit. <laughs> so that is plenty of money. Didn't get his director's fee, but it worked out. <laughs> wow, and also didn't get an Oscar for it or anything either. Well, he did get a nomination, though. That's nice. Uh, but it's a that, horror yeah. movie. I mean, it's a it was it was a stretch to see it ever winning, e even by you know Alfred Hitchcock. But it was it was you know, it was still, I think, such a phenomenon at the time. But you know, somewhat because of the stressing of not spoiling it and the word of mouth buildup, but also because it's just so masterfully made. It's, um, I mean, it's watching it even 60 years later, it's hard to argue with any of it. I mean, you can look at a lot of horror films from the late fifties and early sixties and be like, Ugh, like, why would you do this? Why would you do that? It, from a modern perspective, we see the problems with it, but with this, from a modern perspective, still looks great. You still understand why he did every shot. You still like the editing is almost flawless. Oh, yeah, way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. I mean, not ahead of the Soviets. It's it's definitely That's true. taking straight from the Soviets, from Eisenstein. And the, the Soviets were, like, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but uh, the Soviets, because they, they didn't have access to film to make film, they took the films they had and they researched them in and out, backwards and forwards, cut them, like, each individual frame by frame studying frames studying what happened when you moved frames around and they started developing the soviet montage technique which became you know modern editing and is why that shower scene is so amazing because it's like just go back and watch it if you haven't watched it in, in a while and look at how many cuts it is and hey, if you don't if you don't mind just putting a pin in that for a second, I'm gonna go start recording my project for my new vaporwave electronic group. Let's hear it. The Soviet Montage Project. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, awesome. sorry. I just gotta get to work on this right now. Yeah, sorry. Get, get pressing on. matters. Uh I, I, yeah, but that 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 scene, just go back and watch it. I mean and 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 realize 
I mean, I know for some people editing in general is just magic because you just have no idea how it works. But if you know anything about editing, realize that the editing that was going on in that scene was also happening with a razor blade and tape. Yeah. Not on, not, you're not starting up iMovie, you're not opening up DaVinci, you're not using any modern programs. You are just taking film, cutting it, taping it together. Yeah, that sounds like absolute misery to me. Yeah, um, that's something they talked about a little bit in, in that seventy-eight fifty-two documentary I mentioned earlier. Is like, you know, these these days, if you're editing film, like you said, digitally, I mean, doing these cuts takes a matter of of seconds. Yeah, it's nothing. And if you cut too much, you can just drag it back out. No problem. Yeah, no problem at all. And you didn't waste a dime doing it. <laughs> Meanwhile, I think back in the day, they said that. Usually these edits would take in general about like between five and like 15 minutes each <laughs> yeah. to make one edit. And then what if you look one at it and you edit. go, eh, it doesn't look good. Then you just do it again. Do it Over again. and over. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine the misery. Because no. the thing is, dude, is like, you know, for me playing music and stuff, I know how convenient digital recording is compared to recording on tape. Because back in those days, whenever you'd have miles davis or frank zappa whoever in the studio and they would edit their projects together they were doing it with a razor blade too they were recording to tape and i've never done that but i know what a ginormous pain in the ass it must be so right yeah in order for them to make the decision to edit some of those crazy scenes like the shower scene the way that they did uh man alive that is a lot of commitment but it totally pays off because it's still so yeah shocking and effective and i i gotta say at the time when this came out if you were your average american you know uh, film watching person i'm sure you'd never seen anything that shocking not only in terms of it being a naked woman getting stabbed to death in a shower but also that editing just had to make you feel like you're having a fucking seizure right there in the right. middle of the theater. And then the strings, too. I mean, Oh, uh, the soundtrack, too, yeah. Yeah, Hitchcock originally wanted it to have no music so that it's just like the sounds of the screams and then the thuds of the, the knife going into a melon. Like, uh, But the, the composer, what's his name? Crap, Bernard. Guy. Oh, yeah, Bernard Herman. Uh, Bernard Ehrman, uh, he, whenever he was scoring it, he just decided to put something in there just in case he would want it. And then when Hitchcock saw it with just the, like, he was immediately like, oh, perfect. Yeah. That's yeah. way He's better. like, you saved my movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is crazy too, because this, you know, this movie, as you said, was kind of taken on by Hitchcock pretty much all to sell finance and stuff mm -hmm. and he used his. TV crew from the show to put it together to keep the budget yeah. down and all that jazz. And shot it in black and white. I mean, a lot of people may be thinking, oh, it's 1960, of course, black and white. No, most most movies at the time, especially big Hollywood movies, were in color. So to the choice to do black and white was a, a budgetary issue, really. Mm -hmm. I'd yeah. say it also helped him with the sensors because you couldn't see red blood. It was yes, just you know, chocolate that, syrup blood. Yeah, that does help a lot, honestly, because, like, yeah, the redness would have been a... They wouldn't have been able to show the blood, basically. They would have had the same scene, but without the blood going down the drain. Which would have been way Ooh, less yeah. effective. Way, way less, less effective. Mm -hmm. But, like, apparently the word is is that Hitchcock was so kind of disappointed in the final cut of the film, he thought the entire thing was a failed project, and he's like, maybe I'll just, you know, cut it down enough that it can fit as an episode of the TV show. 
And that's when Bernard got his mitts on it and put that soundtrack to it and straight up saved the movie. Like this movie for being such a historic piece of film almost landed, you know, in the effectively the trash can of television. It would have just been a really cool episode of Alfred Hitchcock presents. Right. But Bernard is actually the star of the show here that kept it from ending up there. And I can't say enough about the fucking soundtrack in this. It propels the movie forward in such a modern way too, you know, like, cause I think sometimes, sometimes soundtrack is overused in a lot of ways when it just tells you how you should be feeling about a scene. Yeah. Um, it can really get obnoxious and get in the way, but I feel like, I feel like the soundtrack that he did for this movie just keeps this air of mystery going and this air of like weirdness and like impending dread and forward momentum, even in just those scenes where she's just driving her car yeah, really the, boring just to watch. Yeah, dude. That's just driving music. Like, what? Totally. Like, it, yeah. it keeps you... Because, you know, you know the tension's there. And I, I think in a modern movie, like, if this came out in 2020, you could do it without all the music, and, you know, people are going to just go along with you. But 1960, you gotta keep them. You gotta keep them in the theater. You gotta keep it, that momentum going. You gotta keep reminding them she's tense and she's running because that was i mean it it was clear but it's also like not explicitly stated we see the the in the envelope full of money on her bed and we see her driving like she doesn't explicitly say i'm gonna steal this money Mm -hmm. like you you have to have the music to keep the tension there to keep people who maybe you know this is their one night a week to go out on a date, go to town, see a big picture show, you got to keep them reminded, like, this is tense. This is what's happening. This is the scary bit. But you also don't want to continually tell because you're a good filmmaker. You want to show, not tell. And the music is there to tell. The music is there to say, like, here's what's happening. I heard that Bernard, whenever he was writing the, uh, the score for it, too, his ulterior motive that he was working under was to one day get a piece of one of his soundtracks sampled in a Busta rhyme song. And uh, it th- paid off. It did. It paid off. I mean, it's it's been most... I think anyone composing a soundtrack is like, hopefully Busta hears this. <laughs> I know that I am. Yeah. <laughs> Every song I write, it's all with the hopes of <laughs> maybe it'll land in the Busta Bus's lap. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, when it gets to that... Part of the soundtrack with the strings, I was like, wait... That didn't give me some mo. <laughs> yep. I had to pull it up and listen to it. So awesome. Bust Rhymes. <laughs> he's You're great. a treasure. You're yeah. a fucking treasure. I'm, not, I'm not ready for a, a world without Busta. I, I don't know if it's going to... He works out, man. Yeah, he's going to keep yeah. with it. He's, he's, he's <laughs> going he's gonna to be around for a while, I think. But the thing about this movie is, you know, and, and partially because of that soundtrack, this is one of those ones that has transcended horror movies and just become a part of... Of pop culture. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't, just, I don't even know if I could say pop yeah. culture. It's just part of human culture. Yeah, it's just uh, ingrained in us. Um, yeah, for sure. It's uh, the thing is that I think, you know, you maybe thought you had seen this because of that. Like, right. it is yeah. so ingrained in our culture that I think it would still be shocking to people to watch it today, but it's so ingrained in our culture that people f- just know it. They haven't yeah. maybe ever seen it. 
They just it's one know of those it. weird things, man, where it, it's kind of like whenever you see, you know, the save icon on your computer is a floppy disk and you realize like yeah. All the kids that hit that button, they, they don't no know that that's a, a floppy, floppy disk. disk is. Yeah, that, but they know that it means save. save. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, or cha-ching. Like, when's the last time right. a cash register went cha-ching? Like, yeah, yeah. definitely or not in a 20-something's lifetime. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's like with this thing right here, if you make a stabbing motion and you go, ree, ree, ree. Everybody knows it. Yep. You know what it is. Even mm -hmm. if you're not sure of what it's from. You know it. Yeah. You know it means murdering somebody. Yep. And it all started right here and those screechy dissonant strings just added so so very much to it i wonder what some of his influences and stuff were because you know by this point we'd had a lot of 20th century composers experimenting with some really really dissonant things and i wonder yeah. what his influences were i'd like to learn well, more about that actually let me just tell you real quick about bernard herman just a little bit because if i were to tell you Someone worked on Ben North by Northwest, mm -hmm. Vertigo, and Citizen Kane. Three movies that are mercy. considered potentially the best movies ever made. Yeah. <laughs> like, he worked on all of them and Psycho. Damn. And, and he worked on Taxi Driver and Cape Fear and The Day the Earth Stood Still. This dude no was kidding. all over the place. And uh, the, the Day the, the Earth Cape Stood Fear Still. Cape Fear is awesome. Yeah, it is. Well, th uh, this is the 1962 Cape Fear, not the remake. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that one. <laughs> Though I, I don't know if the remake is, is using stuff. I'm assuming it probably does use stuff from him. It's Bernard mm. Herman. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure of his influences. He also worked on Twilight Zone, too. He didn't do the, the main theme, but he, he worked on a lot of Twilight Zone episodes. So he, his stuff has been used so much that... He, you know Bernard Herman without even knowing you know Bernard Herman. Yeah, totally. Uh, I wanted to talk a, a little bit about the the novel. Uh, you mentioned the Ed Gein connection, mm -hmm. and I, I don't know how in depth they went on in that podcast, but Ed Gein stuff actually only came out about two weeks before the novel was finished. Yeah, that's so the weird the, thing. Yeah. yeah. The novel was not originally based in any way on Ed Gein. It just makes mention of Ed Gein at the end because it had just happened and he saw the similarities. But it's, yeah, it's such a weird coincidence because he, he lived not far away as well. From yeah, Ed he was Gein. born in the same state, yeah. Yeah, so it, it it's just a weird coincidence that he's writing this character who is so very much Ed Gein. Yeah, uh, totally. I mean, a guy that keeps, you know, fucking dead lady corpse parts in his house, right. dresses up like a woman. And, well, and, and particularly kept his, his mother's, his mother's dead corpse yeah. in a bedroom that he kept... Uh, immaculate. In, immaculate. Shape, yeah. Despite the fact the rest of the house was a goddamn uh, dump. It was a dang is, old pigsty. Yeah, it's something we, we see in the movie, and I'm assuming, uh, you know, He's taken a good bit from knowing the Ed Gein stuff afterwards, uh, th but mostly they didn't they didn't change too much about the novel. They stuck kind of close to it, but also they didn't have Robert Block involved in the movie at all. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, they basically were just like uh, Hitchcock gave him nine thousand five hundred dollars for the rights to the movie, and then that was it. Like, Which apparently. Yeah 
what he found out not long after that is that Shirley Jackson got paid, I think it was like $600,000 for the rights of... Um, yeah. Yeah, what is it? The haunting... Uh, uh, the haunting of... Uh, or, yeah, the haunting or the haunting of Hill House. Yeah, or, see, I, yeah. I fuck them up. I keep yeah. saying the name of the show, but you know damn well which one I'm talking about. I do. I do. <laughs> but yeah, he kind of found out... He really got hosed. So do you think effectively at the end of the day, Alfred Hitchcock like took his story, handed him a check, and then went, oh, cool story, bro. <laughs> he yeah. cool story broed him, I'm pretty he cool sure. cool story broed him, yeah. That sounds like probably what happened, yeah. <laughs> now, one thing that they did change uh, from the book is that, I guess in the original there, Norman Bates was a old, overweight, like creepy, right. yeah. you know, and he was creepy also- kind of guy. An alcoholic who uh, would become his mother when he was drunk. Oh, And okay. that's why he didn't remember it, which I get changing. They changed a few things that, I mean, just aren't great storytelling. That That's not great storytelling. It doesn't give us any sort of insight into the character. He just he gets drunk, and that makes him become his dead mother. Okay. Uh, no, I, I, I like the, the angle of the movie where he, he has this weird vibe to him, but he's also attractive. He's a cute guy. He, he, uh, is also awkward, charming. Yeah. Awkward, charming. Yeah, that's exactly it. He is awkward, charming instead of being immediately off putting and worrisome. He's Michael Sarah. Yes, in a lot of ways. <laughs> he, he's very Michael Sarah in this, yeah. I but yeah, I, I like that change a good bit. It it's it's a much better character and gives us a lot more to it. They also changed uh some things because he in the book he was into spiritualism. Hmm. Which I guess might have been some sort of explanation as to why he would keep his mother's corpse. But again, eliminating that, like let's just say he keeps his mother's corpse because of psychological issues not because he wants to talk to the dead or whatever yeah like i I think what they did is basically clean things up and also make it easier to shoot like Hmm. it's you know if you if you've got if you've got a drunk man a drunk fat man dressed in a dress there's no hiding the fact that it's not the mother killing Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying, especially about making, you know, the choice to use Anthony Perkins, who is like a little bit, a little bit more, you know, thin and lithe. Right. It's easier to put him in a dress and be like, oh, it's a woman stabbing her in the shower. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, the other way around, I just don't see how you shoot that. It uh-uh. just doesn't work. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I I think the, the, the few changes that they did are important. You know, changing from uh, the the character's name from Mary to Marion was just an issue of there were two women named Mary Crane in Phoenix, and so they mm, didn't want okay. to get sued, I guess. So <laughs> they just changed it to Marion. There's no meaning behind that. Though I did notice it's an anagram of uh, uh, I, Norma. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know. Anyway. Interessant. Hey. But yeah, the, the the changes aren't aren't huge, but they they do make the movie smoother and make it uh, make it work better in a visual sense. Because in a book, again, 
you know you don't have to describe that the the figure is is a large figure you don't have to say but again that's a cheat and that's what you want to get rid of in a movie you can't use the cheats when you're actually showing visual information right yeah kind of is a dead giveaway right there huh yeah yeah it's interesting that you mentioned that whenever he wrote the book he had no way of really knowing that he was sort of predicting what was happening at that time with the Ed Gein murders. Well, you know, he maybe only murdered one or two people, but the whole scenario, we'll call it the, the Ed Gein shenanigan. Okay. Shenanigan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But the thing about this is, is I feel like in a lot of ways, whenever Hitchcock saw this story, you know, maybe he had his finger on the pulse of predicting where a lot of things in society were heading. Um, you know, in the film industry as well as just in the 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 social world, and even the the behavior of the coming age of the super killer, that was right. just going to start about a decade later when we had our you know uh, Dahmers and Bundys and all yeah. these like near supervillain like characters that just emerged on society. It's really strange that he happens to make a movie about that as if he saw it coming. And this right. this movie too, I think, in terms of some of the you know the scandalous stuff that it's known for in terms of how violent and sexual and stuff like that, that it was at the time. I think it goes beyond that too, where, you know, you got to think this is the age of like Grace Kelly and Gregory Peck and, you know, Lucy and Desi sleeping in separate beds and shit like this. Meanwhile, in this movie, which is very much grounded in reality, you know, it's not, it's not at all this idealized world. It's grounded in reality where, Women are in the workplace. This woman is making a decision to have an affair with a married guy and is proactive in changing her life. She steals this money and stuff to make changes in her own life and take control of her destiny and of her fate. Um, Meanwhile, if you think about it too, another really weird thing for a movie of this time period, there's no family in this movie. There's no nuclear family with mom and dad and two kids playing in the picket fence outside, yep. you know? Yeah, nothing nothing is is uh perfect. There's no representation here of uh good. No, it's very morally gray. And that's yep. the thing that I thought was really interesting about this movie too is when you think about a lot of old-timey black and white movies, it's like there's a good guy and there's bad guy. It's pretty clear mm-hmm. to tell who's who, but in this movie, you know, we have Janet Lee who is our protagonist, but I mean the very first scene is of her being an adulteress and she steals money. Like yeah. holy Yeah, that's moly. all we know of her. <laughs> yeah. But I know that at the time, like all those things were super shocking and uh and scandalous and stuff, and maybe they're a little less so now. Um but man alive, at the time that had to be mind blowing. If you had just seen, you know, leave it to beaver on tv and then you watch this movie yeah other i mean like i said not even counting the obviously shocking parts of it just elements like that had to be i think really shocking but i think also maybe alfred hitchcock knew people in the post-world war ii america were ready to see some reality in their entertainment they didn't have to be fed this super idealized thing with these you know, beautiful Hollywood actors and actresses living their perfect lives in their wool suits. Um, right. I think that he knew that it was a time to do a more gray area kind of story. Well, he had been making movies since when it was gray. Like, I mean, he he was making movies before the uh, 
introduction introduction of the production code mm-hmm. so he was making movies when you didn't have to present all that wow. uh yeah this is and, like almost his 50th movie i guess <laughs> he's a yeah. busy fucking guy yeah so for him he had to endure a period where he had to hide some stuff that you wouldn't have had to hide when he first started making films and this was an experiment for him and uh getting to like having to fund it himself was actually beneficial because it let him off the hook like he could basically get away with as much as he could get away with like whatever he could convince the people at paramount to distribute uh because he didn't have to convince them to make it (laughs) he just had to convince them to distribute it so he he was really experimenting and and pushing boundaries and trying to see what he could get away with uh in a in a period when you know he he was already a success like he didn't he didn't have to do anything else like he he already had proven he was one of the best and this was an opportunity to stretch out like you know birds comes after this is his first horror film like there's some you could maybe lump in or yeah like try to push thrillers right but th- this is the first one that you would definitely say is a horror film and uh you know then the birds uh, i think those are really the only two that i would call definite horror films but he he was experimenting with what he could get away with and he got away with a lot yeah yeah and a lot of that is just due to the absolutely insane editing choices and stuff that they made during some of those scenes like like the shower scene um, most notably there's a lot of talk in there about how whenever you know the 10 people on the censors board watch that scene right. they send it back to alfred and they're like okay five of us thought we saw nudity five of us didn't half of us thought we saw the knife piercing flesh the other half didn't, so you got to re-edit this uh, in a way that doesn't show any of that stuff. And Alfred Hitchcock just, like, handed his assistant the reels back and was like, okay, I fixed it, send it back. Mm-hmm. And they just sent it back as is. Yep. Until they kind of shut up about it. They were going to reshoot it, but for some reason the censored people never showed up to the shoot, so you're like, fuck it, keep it. It was, I mean, it was, uh, like, that that production code bit really was just a brief blip of insanity that we got again in the 80s. Like, yeah, you, you get these brief blips of moral crusades that end up failing because everybody's like, why? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is the purpose of this? So There's no way that would happen these days, though, right? No, There's no, no way, way that would ever happen again. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he, he was able to get away with it because the, yeah, this was like at a time where the production code was basically crumbled and everybody who was, you know, on the boards didn't really see the importance quite as much as people had seen before. And so, and yeah, it's, it's always been the case that the people watching the movies sometimes aren't paying attention. Sometimes they're having a bad day sometimes they're paying particular attention and enwrapped by the movie and so the editing can trick them like it's a good reason why we don't need a rating system because the only way to rate is to have people sit and subjectively view it and then give their subjective take on it and when you have that masterful bit of editing 
where what it does is lead you to believe things constantly like the way it's edited leads you to think you just saw things yeah well it's just like we talked about with texas chainsaw like right yeah there's so many of us that remember seeing that meat hook go through her back as he hangs Mm -hmm. her up it never shows that that at all yeah (laughs) but the editing sure does leave you to think that's what you saw yeah so the the way that it was edited yeah i mean you couldn't even memorize you can't memorize it in your head i'm trying to think back on it and all i get the order of scenes no way yeah yeah yeah, because it's yeah, so yeah. many cuts in such a short amount of time. It's like yeah. damn near a strobe light or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, it, uh, I can see exactly why the the board would just be easily tricked by seeing the same thing a second time and being told some stuff had been taken out. Because yeah. if you're paying attention now and being like, okay, I'm looking for the stuff I remember seeing, you won't see it. Because you're not going to see it. Yeah. your mind was completing it. Right. And, dude, it's crazy to me because I knew that, obviously, the shower kill scene was, like, a big controversial thing because it was so violent and she's a naked woman in the shower, you know, at our, our most vulnerable place. We're naked and alone right. and trapped in this little, you know, cubicle while we take a shower. I realized that was very shocking and controversial, but you got to remember, dude, okay, there's that scene. There's the fact that it opens with an affair with two unmarried people putting their clothes back on in bed right. with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, multiple shots of a woman in a slip and brassiere. Ooh. Um, mention of transvestites. And there's also the, a killer who is a man dressed up in a dress. Right. But like, just to put all those things in terms of like moral perspective, another big shocking element of this movie is the fact that it had a dang old flushing commode in it. Yeah, people were just in awe. Now, That's how I don't know if anybody was were. in awe, but it was the first time. It Dude, was the first I, time I and people noticed it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were like, oh, you can't show that. You can't certainly can't have the sound of a toilet flushing or anything like that. Yeah. It really makes me wonder, like, what was the deal? Did people, like, try to hide the fact that they had a toilet? Did they disguise their commode as things in their homes? Like, what were they huh. doing back then if everybody <laughs> was so scared of a fucking toilet? Well, I mean, you do have to remember, back then you wouldn't say, I need to go to the bathroom, even. You'd be like, I need to be somewhere else now. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you, you couldn't even say shit like that, at least on TV. I mean, in re- we always have to remember, in reality, there were always people who were like, where's the fucking shit at? <laughs> like, that, yeah. that's always been the reality. TV, though, that they tried to hide that for some reason. I don't know. But and yeah, again, maybe the- that's that dose of reality that I was talking about, too, where Hitchcock was just like, let's fucking get over this Victorian era yeah. modesty shit. Like, yeah. every- there's a toilet in a bathroom duh yes. just show That's it where, get over yeah. it yeah uh i mean he and it also had meaning too because like you you see through um throughout the the beginning bit with janet lee water plays a good bit of a role like she's yeah. driving through the rain and it's you know sort of prefiguring the shower we actually see the shower in her apartment in particular shots like there it's yeah, like right over cool. her shoulder mm-hmm. but like it, it, there's a lot of indication of like heading towards that shower scene but there's also indication of like the water being like a cleansing thing and washing away 
like she flushes down her her like figuring regarding the forty thousand dollars she's stolen because she's trying to figure out how she's gonna pay back the 700 because yeah. she has decided she's gonna return this is like her you know cleansing moment she has recognized her sin and she is she is going to take responsibility for it and she washes it down the toilet and then gets into the shower to wash that sort of way and then she gets killed and then put into the trunk of the car and i don't know if you noticed this but the as the car goes down the sound is similar to toilet flushing like it makes that oh, sort of I like guess so. doof, doof, noise yeah. yeah that kind of glug glug noise i didn't yeah. notice that actually there's so a lot of like, mirroring of those two things huh yeah so like they cool. Like she's she's looking to wash away the sin, but what it's also prefiguring is how she is going to be buried under the water, which wow. uh, yeah. is sad and also dark. <laughs> but also too, yeah, I think that's another thing about it that I really got out of this is just how fucking dark that is. Because essentially, what's going on is like, you know, she started this movie in what you know, you could say is an immoral situation, having an affair, stealing this money and stuff like that, running away with it. And she makes up her mind to be like, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to return the money. I'll just have me a shower. She's so happy when she's in the shower because it really is is like she's washing away her sins and stuff. And uh, then it's like, well, too late. It led you right here. It's like, that's how cruel fate is. That's how cruel the world is, is because... If not for her initial decision that she made, she wouldn't have ended up at the Bays Motel. Exactly. She'd been sleeping in her apartment in fucking Phoenix, and this never would have happened. So it's the kind of thing where it's just like, it's showing this very stark reality of it doesn't matter if you change your mind to do the right thing after the fact. The thing that you set in motion is already happening. And also just because you have this little moral moment doesn't mean the, the rest of reality shares that. You know, Norman Bates is going to stab you to fucking death because your path led you to him. And I think it's interesting, like, he, I think he decides to kill her when she says she's from Los Angeles. Really? Yeah, because he's reaching for the number three key and then she says she's from Los Angeles and he pauses and reaches over for number one. See, I was trying to put that together myself. I was like, when did he decide? Because, like, during yeah. that parlor scene where she's like, why don't you just put your mom in a, right, a home and put her somewhere? Like, yeah, he really gets cold then. Yeah, yeah but, but you're right. It's like it is when he's reaching for the room keys because he knows that room one he can peep on through that parlor window. And I guess because, well, it's not a window. It's a hole in the wall that he made. Yeah. Um, and I guess he knows since she's so far away, it'll be harder to find yeah. her, huh? Yeah. I didn't think so about that. that. That's a, an interesting little bit I saw, like, just as I watched it recently. Like, he, he does go through that moment where he's about to hand her a different key where he, I guess he would have just been like, okay, like, that's it, you know? She stays tonight, she leaves, the end. But he hears Los Angeles, and then he's like, all right, I'm going to kill her. <laughs> that's an interesting moment to me. And even the, the money thing, you know, I, I yeah. find to be a very stark narrative of the kind of like realities that people are living during this time in the country and still live you know to to this day honestly where we have her who's from this more cosmopolitan metropolitan big city area she's all concerned about money and shit like this uh and then she goes out kind of off into the sticks off where you know the new highway has destroyed the Bates motel economy right 
uh-huh. which again is just kind of telling of like the way that small businesses and stuff were already starting to change all the way back in the yeah. late 1950s. Oh yeah, the interstate system and, and highway changed systems yeah. changed everything, yeah. Yep. And again, post-World War II kind of stuff again right there. But you know, she's on this quest because of this money. This money is what's like eating her alive as she's driving up and down the road and it's what she finally changes her mind to absolve herself of. Mm-hmm. And then like meanwhile, after this guy that lives out in the sticks and doesn't give a fuck about any of that stuff, after he murders her because she happened to end up there because of the money, mm-hmm. he puts the money in the trunk yeah, doesn't and fucking even, drives the car into the bog. Doesn't like, even look at what It what's doesn't in even there. matter to him. Like there's nope. no ending to that money. The yeah. money doesn't end up back where it belonged. He yep. doesn't take it because he's like, mm. oh boy, I'm killing people to get rich. Nope. It literally he's, doesn't he's even matter to him. He's not going anywhere. He doesn't, he's never moving. He wants yeah. to be there with his mother. He wants to be frozen in time. It's his only world, he says. He does yeah. not care about going anywhere. He has no dreams of moving or anything. He's and just again, maybe, there to kill. Maybe that's something that was in the original story about the mindset of people that were still clinging to this very small town lifestyle versus embracing the impending yeah. metropolitan boom that was happening Right, you know, already in the country at that yeah. time. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the show Bates Motel, but they I haven't. I don't recommend it. Uh, some people out there probably like it, and whatever, it's fine. I'm sure there's something about it, uh, but it it goes it gets in a lot into the business side of of all that. Ooh, but, like, fascinating. Really, yeah, that's the, that is the problem. It explores that stuff too much, but that is that is. <laughs> interesting because he mentions it twice that the highway has basically killed the business and that his mother was you know uh fooled into getting into the business by a man that he killed uh so like he he obviously has some disdain for the the motel and some uh resent uh resentment and anger towards the the highway but it's also he seems happy he seems content where he is so yeah like, he's kind of frozen I, in time yeah so like I, I wonder like i wonder why like i wonder if like his anger you know like fi- the financial situation and all that if that anger is what drove him to kill his mom and the man who convinced him to build the motel but now that they're gone and he just has his mother there as a, a stuffed toy, he's more content. But he still has that anger. He's still mad about all that, but he's still he's more content now. He's cool because he can control his mom and he and that man is gone. Yeah. Wow, man. I, I mean, the thing is that the movie gives us all of this without ever guiding us anywhere until the end when for until 10 the minutes very end yeah. yeah for 10 minutes a psychiatrist gives us some lame ass explanation to hold our hand it, it really should have gone from him getting taken in to him sitting there and having that like voiceover narration in his head totally of, agree wouldn't harm a fly yeah. all that stuff yeah it, it, it feels yeah. like the psychiatrist bit was thrown in like okay, people probably won't get it. (laughs) And that's the thing, right? It's easy to forget that. It's like nowadays when you talk about, you know, disassociative personality disorder and stuff like this, it's like everybody knows what that is. 
Yeah, they may not have like a deep understanding, but they have a pretty good idea of what bipolar, what, uh, you know, uh, uh, mania, multiple personalities. You say certain terms, they, they will get them. But yeah, in the in 1960, a lot of this would have been outside of of a lot of people's experience. Even though you know Freud had uh, been around for a while and popular and well read in America, it was still not not as widespread as it is now. Like the the people just didn't have the vocabulary to talk about it. Hmm. Wow. It's funny you mentioned Freud too. I was watching some videos earlier that talked about how. Even the three levels of the Bates household is a very Freudian thing, like the right. three levels of, of personality uh-huh. with right. the ego, the superego, and then the basement is the id, the fruit cellar yeah. where he keeps you know, the corpse of his mother, his driving mm-hmm. obsession and stuff. Uh, there's some pretty interesting things that you can definitely pick apart in here that I can't help but think are deliberate in a lot oh, of definitely. ways. Yeah, yeah. No, th- as I said, uh, uh, Freud was well read especially the 20s and the 30s people read Freud a good bit and again Hitchcock was uh, around back then and probably reading Freud he 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 knew good ways to use those things without being too overt but then again you get to that psychiatric scene or the psychiatrist scene and he is just over explaining it but again I guess in 1960 for people who don't have that vocabulary don't know those things they're watching this and they're wondering what just happened <laughs> like yeah wait a second that, yeah he that his mother was dead the whole time and he was wearing a dress what <laughs> yeah that's one of those like little things that it's a really worthless like 10 minutes at the very end of the movie yeah. after this very like you know thrilling scene and stuff that's mm-hmm. gone down that could definitely be cut for a modern audience. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe one day they should remake it. I don't know. <laughs> maybe in 1998 they could remake that exact thing and but who not change it? it one bit. Uh, <laughs> Gus Van Zant might do that. Man, let me tell you about this remake, Ben. This movie, Psycho 1960, was an experiment, an Alfred Hitchcock experimenting in horror. And what can we do with horror? And in that experiment, he had to scrapped together his own money to make this movie and so in 1998 gus van zandt said i got an experiment too give me 60 million dollars and his experiment was psycho yep wow where he just literally remade the movie yeah and i don't know i i didn't research deep into the uh, remake though i watched it I don't know how much it was Gus Van Zandt and how much it was, uh, you know, the the producers and stuff. Who whose experiment it really was? But the experiment that they're not like saying out loud what the experiment was. The experiment was to see how much of a movie you have to change to successfully, uh, like make a remake, like one yeah, that warrant a remake. Money. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because this is 1998. As I said, uh, uh, last episode when we talked about the Evil Dead remake, 1999 was The Conjuring, and that is the beginning of the remake boom. Like, Mm -hmm. Hollywood was really trying to figure it out. They were trying to perfect it. The Conjuring, not The Conjuring, fuck, The Haunting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The Haunting was uh, changed enough from its original, and you throw in the big names 
and you throw in the, the big job, yeah. CG and you get your money. But just a year before, they had done this exact remake. Big names, but not huge. I mean, Anne Heche, Vince Vaughn was less big in 1998 than he is now, I guess. He's not. He's never been huge. Hey, um, he was less famous, too. <laughs> Hi-yo! Uh, <laughs> he put on some that? pounds. William H. Macy. Uh, uh, Vigo. Vigo Mortensen's in there. Hell yeah. Uh, and also uh, Julianne Moore. So there, there's somebody. But yeah, power players in there it's uh re-watching or watching it i i was like yeah this is just psycho like it, it really it doesn't fail at being a shot for shot remake the, the end question though is just why and but why yeah yeah and my only answer i can find is really it's an experiment in seeing how much they have to change it makes it sense was an when you expensive put it that way. experiment like 60 million dollars to find out you can't just shot for shot it and why 60 fucking million dollars was needed to make that movie i don't know it's like did they have to fucking cgi dinosaurs in the background and shit like what they were they doing not. yeah there it's it, it really is just a very stripped down movie in color with the i mean the the house and the hotel have been on the universal backlot forever like they didn't even have to build new places. It's it's wow. the same stuff. So I don't know where sixty million dollars went. Maybe the experiment was how much money can we pretend to spend on a movie and actually spend on cocaine? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, dude, the, the other night after I finished watching nineteen sixty Psycho, as soon as it was over, I was like, let's put on this remake and watch you know half an yeah. hour of it before I go to go to bed. So I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched about a half hour of it, but. You know, the original was still so fresh in my memory that I watched this remake and it is, I mean, mostly even line by line. And yeah. a lot of it is like you realize how weird it is to hear people use 1960 lines in a yes. nineteen late 1990s movie where like rich guy walks in the office and he's like, it's as warm as fresh milk in here. <laughs> like, <laughs> who the fuck would say that in 1998? Yeah, let's go get a drink of Rooney. Yeah, like, oh, wait, it just no, doesn't I'm make sense. I'm dying of thirst Rooney. thirst Rooney. I mean, thirst we should go with that. We should pick that up. I agree. <laughs> By the way, speaking of thirst Rooney, this beer, now that it's warmed up, you can taste the, the basil. Ooh, the basil in there, a huh? A good bit more. It's it's got more vegetal and uh, the the heat's really kicked up a notch, Ooh. so it's good. I highly I, recommend. I'm just I'm just feeling the alcohol from this thing in my bloodstream, and it's delicious. I bet <laughs> it's fantastic, man. And there's a lot of like great lines in this movie too. Oh yeah, it is full of great lines. I I think you know the. Uh, the uh, boy's best friend is his mother is probably the most mm -hmm. famous everybody line. goes a little mad sometimes everybody goes a little mad sometimes i'm dying of thirst rooney of course <laughs> <laughs> um he that that same guy says the line i'll replace it with her fine soft flesh when we're talking about the forty thousand dollars I mean, that's a weird thing to say. That's I would real think. weird, but it also fits in line with the Ed Gein bit. <laughs> it kind of does. In a weird, fucked it's, up way, it does. I mean, it, it's one of those lines that I think in 1960 was probably meant to be innocuous. Like, yeah, no, we get it. A woman steals $40,000 from you, then you, you'll get to have sex with her, of course. 
Um, that's how it in, goes. In modern day, we're like, right, that sounds terrible. Oh, also connected to Ed Gein. That sounds way worse. Like, <laughs> it, it never sounded good. It's not uh-huh. innocuous at all. Yeah, nowadays we know you have to be famous, then they'll let you do anything. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's what they say. Mm. That's what they say, right? That's what they say. They uh, say that, right. Eating in an office is just too officious. I love that line. <laughs> <laughs> I I I think throughout this movie, like uh, a son is a poor substitute for a lover. Like so much of what Norman Bates says is is just like he's definitely been alone a lot. Like he's sure. thought so much. He's had these conversations in his head. Like even like his conversation with people's like with each character his conversations kind of start the same and kind of go the same way like he he's just used to a particular way of talking to people and so so many of his lines sound like they're rehearsed or like they've been thought over a lot and it Very just much, adds yeah. to the awkwardness of his character I think you especially see more of that later in the movie whenever the detective comes around. Yes. And they have some very mm-hmm. tense moments where he's like, I think it'd be best if you left because he just can't really, he knows yeah. he can't really talk himself out of that situation yeah. in any kind of smooth way. Yeah. He, like, he is so calm and collected when he is cleaning up a dead body, but when he has to lie to someone, he can't, he can't do it so yeah. easily. It's, yeah, it's no interesting. Doubt. He can deal with dead bodies like they're nothing, but live bodies make him uncomfortable. Wow, that is true. Yeah, he's way more comfortable around the corpses, whether that be Marion Crane or his mom, than he is around right. the actual living bodies, huh? Yeah, which I'd say yeah. is true of a lot of uh, you know serial killers and stuff. So yeah, that's I mean that's super something creepy. that we know about about Dahmer was that his, yeah. he felt more comfortable because he like he was trying to create this sex life he wanted a a living body without the brain like he didn't want to have to deal with like human connection and human interaction yeah too complex too hard too too hard yeah too complex and and yeah wow. he, and he really failed he fails at it a lot um uh norman and anthony perkins so damn good he's so damn good man because he's not just this immediately super weird like Oh, this guy obviously has his mother's corpse in his house. Like, no, you no, meet people you, like him all the time. Yeah, people are just a little bit weird, but it's like, well, yeah. I mean, some people are uncomfortable, especially. I mean, she's very pretty. I, you can understand why uh, a man might be a little bit uncomfortable talking to her if he found her attractive, especially if he's, he's a little an bit homeschooled like him. He is very yeah. homeschooling. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Speaking of this too, okay, Janet Lee. Obviously, very beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. My brain has this incredible problem where I cannot tell what age people were in that era because I see those clothes right. and those hairstyles, and I'm like, mid-50s. She's mid-50s at least. <laughs> She's 32, I think, when they filmed this. So younger than my wife, but yeah. in my eyes, I see her, and I'm like, what a beautiful grandmother. Like, I can't disassociate era from age this is some weird problem in my head i can't do it yeah yeah she she does yeah it's the hair i think that hair just makes everyone look old because in the 80s when we grew up the only people with that hair 
roll people. Meemaws and stuff, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so we'll never be able to look at it and not see Meemaw. <laughs> like, Dude, there's still Meemaws to this day that, that have that hair. That hair, I know. Yes, absolutely. It's, uh, it's man, it seems like a lot more work, doesn't it? Right, it seems terrible. It seems like that would take a lot of fucking time and a lot yeah. of management. <laughs> I don't know. I Yeah, but it's. I see what you're saying. I immediately was like, oh, she, she is older than you would expect in 1960. In 1960, especially if you're going to have the leading lady, like a lot of them would have been like as, as young as possible, as youthful and vibrant as possible. It's it's nice that she is 32 and she is she's never been married. Like there's this complexity to her character already in 1960. Like, yeah, she's, she's unwed she's, and doesn't have kids and has a job and works for herself. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, it really like... Without any sort of like full telling of the story, we get so much from her. We get that obviously she's she's a working, like uh you know definitely intelligent, like capable individual, and uh, she also has uh, some a wild side to her. She's not as uh, she's not interested in settling down so much, or at least hasn't been until she met this married man. Like, now she wants to settle down when she's met this guy who's already married. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. It's fun. It's fun and interesting for the character. We're already drawn in. We already want to know more. And the movie then refuses to give us more. Like, the movie shows her driving. The movie shows her, you know, having these tense interactions. But we're not, we're not getting more and more and more about her. We're just getting the tension of the cop or the tension of the trying to trade her car in for whatever reason. The cop's right there. Like, why is she trading her car in? <laughs> was she trying to escape him or was she just like, I just don't like this car anymore? Yeah, really, right? Because you definitely were just blowing your cover. You weren't going to yeah. like go undetected with the cop watching yeah. you drive off in a new car. But, you know, that brings me to another thing I wanted to talk about here in this movie, um, you mentioned that line a second ago where she's driving down the road and she hears the voice of the rich guy in her head being like, you know, I'll take that money out of her flesh, essentially. Right. There's a constant thread in this movie between Marion and between Norman of authority figures. Yeah. She hears voices of authority figures in her mind. She hears their voices speaking to her, telling her things that are going to happen. Norman Bates also hears the voice of an authority figure, his mother, mm -hmm. in his head, telling him things to do. Um, throughout the movie, Marion has a lot of interactions with these authority figures. I think the person that we see is, of course, the super rich guy who, even like the way it's shot, he's always framed above her, bigger than her, looking yeah. down at her, and obviously talking down to her, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the interactions with the cop, that cop's face is like 80% yeah. of the screen in those shots. It's and he's got a hyper big intense. face. <laughs> big old got, face on yeah. that feller. It's, it really does just like, it's a prominent element of this. And then like that shot with her like getting out her driver's license, like he's just right over her shoulder. Yeah, again, yeah. looking down at her. Mm -hmm. It's almost like this uh, God's eye view perspective looking down. And the thing is, yeah. is like even even that cop has those like blacked out, glasses you can't see his eyes she just sees her reflection you know looking back at her and stuff um and then you know it's like there's authority figure stuff all throughout the movie that these characters are both dealing with 
Right. And I think that that's definitely a theme that you see throughout this flick. Is that something that you caught? Uh, I mean, I'm putting it together now. I mean, it, it does uh, explain their somewhat instant chemistry. They have right. some chemistry immediately. Yeah. I mean, he's awkward, and she's uh, obviously feeling tense because of the situation she's in, but... She's not she's, weirded out by him or anything. She's not weirded out by him, and she's interested and like listens to him. She. It's not until, you know, she makes the mention of the uh, sending sending her his mother someplace uh, that he suddenly obviously gets angry and things turn a little bit. But she, yeah, they immediately have this sort of connection. And I think she sees him as sort of a reflection of herself and sees him as being stuck in this place and realizing she's not stuck. Like, maybe she can return the money. Maybe, maybe she, she can. is I, Norma. Maybe she is I, Norma. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she. so yeah, I see what you're saying, though. That that I think that mutual sort of... Um, I think they have a disdain, it seems, almost for authority figures because they like the way she looks at that man who <laughs> thinks he's flirting with her. Like she's very much just she ain't having it. rolling her eyes at him. Yeah, she's she's not having it. She doesn't seem to be too worried about her boss because she just takes that money like and then the way that Norman interacts with the detective like he he has something to hide, but he also he also plays around with the detective a bit too, just kind of yeah, like does. showing that he's he's really just not 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 interested in an authority figure having control over him. Yeah, he's kind of flaunting his power before yeah. an authority figure in a yeah. lot of ways, right? Yeah. So yeah, I see that now that you're saying it. And I love too the way that this movie, which is you know of course is what it's really known for, just has this gigantic narrative change. 40-something minutes into the movie, almost an hour into the movie, where we'd really been with her and over her shoulder through the whole movie, and after she's murdered, she passes the baton to Norman Bates, and now it's a Norman Bates movie. It's really, really strange, again, especially in this time period, for the killer to be there in the movie with us. For us to be following the killer as he cleans up the crime scene, we get to spend time with him i mean it's it's much like we talked about in um science of the lambs where you spend so much time in that right. movie with buffalo bill you see mm-hmm. him in his quiet hours and what he does when when he's by himself yeah so you you're get some able of that to in this connect movie. with him a little bit more yeah same yeah. with norman yeah you do connect with him a little bit i mean we already had our sort of like he's awkwardly charming bit but now we do know you know that uh, you know, if if you don't know Norman is the mom, what you do know is he cleans up after the mom. Like, yeah. we know he's not a great person, but we're still kind of there. For, we're, like, tense for him now. We're like, oh, oh, okay. Like, all right. It's almost like what I was thinking is, like, the amount of attention that Hitchcock pays to the shower scene was so important because it is a moment where what you're saying happens our pov has to change from marion to norman and it's almost like all the different angles and editing help us to like switch like they help us to move our head from one to the other uh so like 
I I think it it flows, it works, but like the mystery is how. Like the mystery is how he made that work so well that we're 40 minutes in and we can so easily switch to Norman now. I think like you I've said never it's met trauma. anybody who's been like, fuck this movie at that point. <laughs> it changed. And I don't like it. Yeah. I do, I do think it is that like shock and awe change though, like you're talking about, dude. It's like after you have something that's truly like mind blowing happen, you can kind of do whatever you want to. Like, dude, you remember God damn, man, like the entire time that we were teenagers and like just getting our driver's licenses and stuff, it'd be like, Hey, what's the gas price gonna be this summer? And it'd be like it went up to 98 cents this what? summer yeah. for a whole season. Gas prices didn't move. Crazy. And then we had that one fucking bullshit refinery down in Louisiana that got hit by those storms. And remember, gas was like, now it's 650. <laughs> and the thing is, is like after that monumental shakeup, it after that massive change. Down, yeah. And the thing is, is we went yeah. with it. It was like, okay, so yeah. now gas prices change every day. Got it. Yeah. It's still yeah, not as that, crazy as what happened that one time. Yeah, shock and awe. It works. It does. It work. totally works, man. And yeah, I think even, that's what makes that when, work in this movie. Like, barrel barrels of oil prices went back down to what they were when it was ninety eight cents. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, we're not gonna charge you. No, we know we can charge you six dollars. So fuck yeah, you. <laughs> exactly. You didn't stop driving, so we're gonna yeah. charge you whatever the fuck we want. I do think it is that shock and awe of that shower scene that makes that work. I think if it was a much more pedestrian. Um, editing job that they did or if it was something other than you know the shocking death of a beautiful movie star I think that that wouldn't have really worked but I think that that shake up is what makes it happen and what makes yeah. it work for us it works really well it does it really does a great job yeah I think so too man but also too man just the shots and the editing in this movie are a character unto themselves. And one of the shots in this movie that really stands out to me that I might even find more shocking than the shower scene because, you know, everybody knows the shower scene. Everybody knows it. It's that shot where the detective goes up the stairs um, in, into the super ego of the house, if you will. Yeah. And it's that weird directly overhead shot. It looks like a damn shot from like Resident Evil, the video game, where you'd walk up a staircase and the camera would change and be this weird angle. It's that overhead shot of him up at the top of the stairs and Norman Bates, as the mother, as we know her at that point in the movie, comes out with that knife and stabs him. That overhead shot where Bates is walking towards, what's his name, is Abergast or whatever? Yeah, Abergast. Whenever he's walking towards Arbogast, whenever he's walking towards Arbogast, he just has such deadly focus Uh about him. Like there is just this super, super clear intent to kill in this beeline he is making for this guy with this knife held up above his head. It's like he has no other purpose other than to kill this person. There's not at all any subtlety to it. Just the way that he makes that very decidedly uh, straight, you know, line straight to kill this guy to me yeah. is chilling for some reason. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think, um, because it, it all happens so fast too. everything with, yeah. with Arbogast, it, it's so quick that he shows up and then, you know, he sneaks into the house and then gets killed. And by the time he's putting him in the swamp, 
what's his name the guy from the beginning the married guy has already showed up and is looking for arbogast so like there it's like a a real small window that he got away with and i, I think it's like also because our 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 focus is now shifted i watching it the first time it kind of felt relieved that he didn't get caught <laughs> i was like oh <laughs> whew, good yeah he got rid of that guy and it's like wait no he's the bad guy <laughs> like, well, that's the thing too though you know with this movie being what it is in pop culture even with this being what again i'm thinking of as effectively my first time seeing the movie mm-hmm. you know whenever we get those shots where like you were talking about it shows him cleaning up and disposing of the body and stuff in the shower um to me watching that, I was like really bored because I was like, this is a real time shot of a guy cleaning up a bathroom. It's a yeah. real time. Like he comes in with the mop, he it's scrubs very, it. Yeah. You know? But the thing is, is like, I I happened to forget that at the time that you were watching this for the first time before this was the phenom that it is, you really thought this was this boy mm-hmm. that was doing this in service of his of his mother. Yep that just killed somebody you're like what is this fucked up relationship that you got this old lady that lives in the house and kills people and this you know son of hers that goes around and cleans up after her like that is an effect that is lost on me watching this movie you know this side of uh of the millennium i guess you would say uh that i didn't really take into account because i knew as she was getting stabbed she's getting stabbed by norman bates i knew that wasn't the mom so some of those things I, I do wish that I could see with a with a clean slate, with a fresh eye that didn't tell me this is Norman cleaning up after himself. Yeah, you know? I think it still works on a level in that it just shows how, like, cold and, like, unaffected by it all he is. Yeah. But, yeah, you're that the, that's just a layer to it. The, the deeper and, and more hard-hitting layer would have been all those people who had been uh, who had been able to avoid spoilers because Hitchcock said, get in on time and don't tell anybody. Uh, those people were saying it and thinking exactly what you said. Like, poor guy, you know? Like, they just heard how she yelled at him the one time and, you know, uh, then he goes up and he's like, what have you done, mother, and all that. And uh, Hitchcock had them take the bass out of his voice for that. So he hmm. sounds like a little boy. He sounds like more like a child talking to his mother. Wow. That's so crazy. It, it's Subtle. exactly like you said, though. You feel real sorry for him. You're like, oh, man. But then, like, also you feel like, well, what is he? Like, he's kind of trapped, right? You know, what's he supposed to do? Turn his mother in? Like, so I, I think that POV shift probably worked even better in 1960 when you didn't know at all what was coming. You would just be like, oh, this poor boy now, you're feeling bad for him. And then he kills, well, then Arbogast gets killed and he cleans up there. And it's like, I don't know <laughs> what's going on here. And then the, yeah. the next couple shows up and it's like, well, we know they're not bad people. Let's not let them, let's not get them killed. Uh, yeah, it, it works really well and would have worked even better. I think back in 1960 would have been such an effective thing to see in the theater. Yeah, and like like I said, kind of kind of sad in a lot of ways oh, too. Oh, very sad. Yeah. You know, one thing about this movie that did really impress me, and uh, I want to see if you share kind of the same idea here too. Um, you know, again, especially considering the time period, 1959 when they were making this, 1960 when it came out. Yeah. 
they managed to put a mentally deranged cross-dressing killer in here and somehow not throw trans people under the bus. Somehow, yeah. But yeah, that, by that I didn't expect. Not, yeah, they, yeah, they I think maybe that does give some justification for the psychiatrist's speech, though it could have been cut down a lot. But to differentiate, to say very clearly, like, no, this is about him uh, inhabiting the character of his mother, that the, the, his mother's voice is so much a part of him that mother is a completely separate entity within him. It's yeah. not him dressing up in a dress. It's mother wearing a dress. Yeah, yeah, it kind of does the same thing that, again, Silence of the Lambs, to reference that one, again, another movie with Ed Gein influences, strangely right. enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that movie, a lot of people look at as being transphobic, but there's that scene in there where Dr. Hannibal very clearly explains, yeah. like, mm-hmm. no, no, he's not, and typically they're they're very passive and don't yeah. go around killing people, so it's not that. I was impressed in this movie, you know, again, for one, for them to even use the term transvestite and be talking about this in 1960 is crazy, mm. well, but then also was, not blaming. That was part it. of the shock. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. Like some some detective novels and pulp novels of the 50s would have said said things like that too. So th- it was using some of that, but it's yeah. yeah, it was still shocking. But not using it to justify like right. He's an awful person that dresses up in women's clothing. How disgusting! Like it's it doesn't go to there, and I was pretty shocked by that actually yeah yeah i'm i'm glad that it didn't i mean to not make it this anti-trans thing to to sort of i guess you know in a way to try to add complexity to the character that you know can't be shut down by an audience that hears trans and just thinks like oh degenerate or whatever yeah reflect on the character only and to not be about this wider uh you know demonization of hmm. of uh trans people i don't know how conscious that is but it seems conscious to me it i seems think so too like kitchcock is making a choice yeah yeah and the more we talk about it the more i feel like this really is some grade a wap some woke ass psycho <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you we could bring something new yeah, to this movie. I told absolutely. you we could. That's the one thing it needed. <laughs> now, I haven't seen any of the sequels to this oh, movie. Oh, man. Which you is weird, because this is one of those ones, dude, where, like, unlike a lot of other horror franchises that have, like, four parts, three parts, four parts, it's like, you know, you think of Elm Street, you think, yeah, it's a series. Yeah. You think um, Hellraiser, it's a series. Right. There's, like, four Psycho movies, but there we are. only ever talk about the first one. Yeah, and I think that's a mistake. Um, I I watched them. I watched them as a kid, as I said earlier, but I watched them for this this episode. And a kid me knew what was up. They're pretty good. They're better than a lot of sequels to a lot of other franchises. Really? I th- yeah. Um, the third one is directed by Anthony Perkins. They all have Anthony Perkins, which is like the that's most cool. important element. Yeah. Uh they're all shot at the the Universal Backlot uh actual original house and hotel. They the second one has Meg Tilly who's great in it. Uh it also has um the sister, what's her name? Vera Miles, whatever the sister's name was. Yeah. She's in it. Um it's 
I'd say the second one does a lot of what a lot of 80s sequels did, where they kind of like, hey, remember the first one? And kind of repeat some of those things, because this was 23 years after Psycho. Jeez. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, 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 but considering that, you would think they would play more off of the 23-year-old film, because it's like, well, most people haven't seen it. But in fact, they built their own uh, interesting kind of story. It is a whodunit slasher sort of thing, but I think it's got a lot I more like character that. to it. Uh, the third one is the one directed by Anthony Perkins. Also, uh, Jeff Jeff Fahey's in it. He is a less insane chop top, I'd say almost like he. <laughs> well, I'd say way less insane, but that's still like pretty <laughs> off the rails. Yeah, uh, it, it's the third one's okay, and then the fourth one it goes deep into the psyche of of the of Norman Bates. It shows us some of the history and stuff. And, you know, we get that in, like, the the sixth um, Nightmare on Elm Street or whatever. But, you know, we we never really got uh, a deep history until the late 80s, early 90s uh, of any of our characters. This was the first time that we get the actual sort of history of Norman Bates. And it's okay. It was made directly for Showtime, so it's not like the best movie you'll ever see but i think it's i think all of those sequels are worth watching hmm i'll have to check those out like i don't know why i've never seen any of those sequels it's like they're usually on streaming services and stuff yeah, yeah but i don't hear people talk about them it's yeah. same as like the the exorcist sequels where it's like right you know you, you watch exorcist 3 and you said you didn't love it but it's like i know a lot of people really dig that uh, movie but nobody I talks saw about the sequels. why they would there were definitely yeah. parts about it that i was like oh okay this is cool uh, and I yeah those those Exorcist sequels don't get as much play but yeah it's it's always Friday Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street but we get that right like yeah. those are those were boob movies yeah right? totally yeah. boobs and killings yeah boobs and killing but I I do think those Psycho sequels are worth a watch at the very least uh, if you do watch them and you hate them be sure to let me know <laughs> <laughs> but if you love them actually do let me know I I don't care if you hate them but if you love them let me know. I did really enjoy this movie. I'm really picky about about old movies, just in general. Okay. Uh, things from like the 1950s, 1960s, even early 70s. A lot of the times, like I, I feel like they were just made for such a different generation that they don't have anything to say to me. I can't really engage as an audience member in a lot of those. But this flick still managed to to keep my attention and come off as surprisingly modern in a lot of those social issues we were talking about. And even just, even in the filming style, man, like the way that this movie starts with these two people that are having a fling and just putting their clothes on after getting a little freaky naughty in this hotel room. And they're just talking like, I was like, which Tarantino movie is this? This feels like the <laughs> opening to a Tarantino flick where it just yeah. dumps you in a room. Here's some characters are talking. You figure it out. Mm hmm. Um, surprisingly modern in a lot of ways not like yeah. ancient aliens modern like this still definitely feels like an old movie there's a lot of time in this movie that is just downtime real time stuff of people cleaning bathrooms and driving like yeah it, it would definitely be tighter if you made it today yeah so yeah so it's the kind of thing where it's like i can watch it and say you know from somebody who's from this side of history uh, I could watch it and say, yeah, I could use some tightening up. Some of that stuff got a little bit boring at times, but it's hard not to 
remember how important this was at the time. This is one of those movies that, to me, I would refer to as having what I call the Hendrix effect. Okay. Um, meaning Jimi Hendrix. So, okay. Me, as a guy that started playing guitar in you know, the late 90s, almost 2000s is when I started playing guitar, um, the guys that really excited me were Joe Satriani and Steve Vai and Billy Joe Armstrong and Kurt Cobain and, you know, people that were relevant at that time and stuff. And all the older players would be like, yeah, go listen to Jimi Hendrix and stuff. He's the guy that started all this. And I listened to Jimi Hendrix and I absolutely 1 million percent understand the historic importance of Jimi Hendrix. The guy really revolutionized the instrument. He treated the electric guitar as if it was a different instrument than a louder acoustic guitar. You know, he's the first guy that really made it its own thing and did amazing things with it. I understand the importance, but I find myself enjoying the music of the people that Hendrix influenced more than Hendrix himself. Yeah, I obviously. And yeah. this is one of those movies that, like, I can't tell you that this movie excites me as much as The Shining or Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I can also tell you for sure those movies would not have happened without Psycho. Yeah, definitely. You know? And I, I think, um, you know, if you, you just look at progression of art over time, I mean, I can look back at a cave painting and understand the significance uh, and enjoy it, but it's, I mean, it's not, it's not DeGoya. It's not, it's not anything. Ain't no Thomas Kincaid, you know what no, I'm saying? Definitely ain't Thomas Kincaid. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's like, you know, it's, you can see the roughness of a, of a cave painting and, and be, and then see a, a more modern thing that takes on that roughness, but like has some meaning to it and see like, oh, this is better, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I can but connect with this. But without the cave painting, no, we don't get there. We never get there. But you know, I I prefer the newer thing because it's building, it's it's developing, it's it's got something more to it. And uh, I'm I'm with you on that. I think Psycho is, I mean, it's a classic. It's it's uh, one that you definitely have to see, and it's it so deep in everyone's psyche. Yeah. Uh, at least in America, for sure. I. I I would say any English-speaking horror fans, Psycho is is deep in your psyche. But it, yeah, it it does it does have the problem that you already know the twist, like, uh, and that does take away some of those tense moments. But again, Anthony Perkins so great, and that He's tension still, still does work a lot of it. And when you see the mom, it's still shocking. Oh it's yeah! Still like what the fuck? Yeah, like, yeah, that thing turns around. Corpse. Holy shit, man! <laughs> yeah, dude, fucking awesome. Yeah, it, it's really cool because, like I said, I expected to be kind of bored by this movie and it for it to just hundred percent have that Hendrix effect. But I did yeah. find myself enjoying it and being gripped by it a lot more than I thought that I was going to be. You know, right? Uh, I really enjoy it. Do you have any final final thoughts? Anything we haven't observed yet, and a and a rating on this thing? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, not really much we haven't observed yet. Uh, just basically that uh, this is. I mean, the great thing about Psycho is that it's Alfred Hitchcock directing horror. Like, if you like Psycho, you sit and watch Psycho, and you like the way it looks, you like the way it feels. Let me tell you, there are like 50-something other Hitchcock movies that are also 
awesome. So yeah. not all of them, <laughs> not everyone, but I'm saying his style, it's there. Specifically around this time, uh, late 50s, early 60s, uh, North by Northwest, uh, things like that, this, the birds, they're all working in this same sort of like very accomplished directorial style that Hitchcock uh, perfected over like 30, 40 years of, of filmmaking. So I I would say for sure, if you enjoy this film, check out more Hitchcock if you haven't already. But it, it is definitely a foundational horror film that loses some of its luster in the face of modern developments in, in storytelling and editing yeah. and, and things like that. But it's still like, it's still up there. It's still one of the top. So for me, I I actually don't find any of the moments too slow, and and I like the way it it develops. Though it it is an hour forty, and maybe could be an hour thirty. But I think so. I mean, well, definitely, if you cut the psych- psychiatrist speech, it could yeah. be an hour <laughs> thirty, and maybe an hour twenty five. Um, but it. it it's so good and so um so relevant still in in regard to the way that movies horror movies show violence because the way this one shows it does everything we always talk about uh, being the best way to do uh, a kill in a horror movie is barely show it uh, a, yeah, a lot with of the imagination fill in the yeah, blanks. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of like you know the 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 editing is is doing a lot of like making you think a particular way without actually showing it. So that's genius, and just will always be something you have to. If you're gonna make a horror movie, you have to sit your ass down and study that scene over and over and over because it is the probably the most effective death ever in a horror movie yeah probably it's um yeah as you said uh yeah it it is a foundational movie that that maybe uh you know some some things are not from a modern perspective are just not gonna sell quite as well so for me there's a nine and a half almost perfect almost perfect but uh i'm not even i'm not taking off anything because it's a 1960s movie i i there's some bits to this that i wish had gone uh a little bit different i just think the story could have been tighter yeah i agree with that i think it could have used a little bit of tightening up but also that's you know uh 60 years of film yeah. watching taken <laughs> right. into account you know and yeah. filmmaking perfected over a time period so i can't really hold that against this movie for not doing the thing that it wouldn't know to do for another, you know, 40, 50 years in some cases. Uh, Still very entertaining to watch. I think the cast is is really sick. Uh, There's some things in here that might seem out of place or odd, but again, that's just kind of the way people talked back then. So, (laughs) you know, it's like some of those lines, you might be like, that's corny. And you're like, yeah, people kind of talked that way back then. So if it ain't chilling, it ain't aspic. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll let that, that stuff slide as well, man. I think if I would have seen this in 1960, uh, it would have been a 10, and my mind would have just yeah. been shattered by it. I think on I think on today's terms, I would say that this is a... I'm going to say 
eight and a half. I'm going to call it an eight and a half. Still very entertaining. I would definitely watch it again. And I think maybe even get more out of it the next time that I'll watch it, you know? The Um, jet flying. Yeah. Limousine riding. Woo! That's right. (laughs) So, yeah, I really enjoyed this one. You guys let us know what you think about Psycho over on the Facebook group that we got. We got all kinds of cool kids on there. That's true. We do. Facebook.com forward slash dead and lovely. Head over there. It's a fun time. Also, Instagram and Twitter at yeah. Dead Lovely Pod. Also, fun times all over the place over there. That's we're just, right. We're kicking out the fun times. Kicking out the fun times. And also, we're kicking out the Patreon exclusive episodes for you guys <gasps> over on the Patreon page. Oh, Patreon.com forward slash Dead and Lovely. That's right. You I'm get falling. more than just the enjoyment of giving us your dollar papers. You get exclusive bonus episodes of the show, plus sure. access to the smoke and bowl of movies that we draw once yep. a month that you get to suggest. Guess what, Ben? Every single movie we've done so far in this month was in that bowl. No way, really? Yeah, Evil Dead and Psycho. Mm, um, I wonder if that'll continue on to next week's episode, too. I don't knows, know. Ben? Who knows? But for $5 a month, you can put in an entry into the smoking Bowl, and maybe that thing gets grabbed out of there, and we cover your movie next time. We do one a month, so be sure to sign up today over on that Patreon page. Get some extra stuff and start driving the show in the direction that Yoon's would like to see. Now, if you want to help us out without spending a dime, go on Apple Podcasts, yeah. rate and review the show. I need more reviews in my life, it helps us out really like a lot. It really does help the show out a lot. Here's so. what: be sure to include these things in your review. Okay. Uh, uh, Steve's too political. Yes. Um, oh, you got to have that. Oh, he's he's dragging that poor Ben down. That poor Ben. He he. Ben's probably right wing. That Steve's just making him say these things. That's right. Yep. Ben just stick to playing guitar. Be sure to put that in there as well. Oh yeah. Ben stick to playing guitar. Uh and oh also get a new co host. Yeah. I yeah. saw that Be one. Be sure too. to put all that but rate it five <laughs> I recently, stars. I recently read the reviews and of course I only read the bad ones. Sorry. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so be sure to rate review it does help us out a ton and tune into the show. Next week we're going to be covering a humdinger. What do we what do we cover next week, Steve? A real humdinger. We uh, uh, traditionally cover a Halloween movie in October. Halloween, mm-hmm. and we we've done one, two, and three, and we had several directions we could go. We're doing Rob Zombie's Halloween. Oh, it's Bobby Zed, isn't it? It's old oh, Bobby, Bobby Zed. <laughs> Robert yeah. Zombert. Oh, Robert Zombert, I uh, I haven't seen this in a while. I remember I haven't seen it since theaters, dude. There's a dude. lot of fuck in it. I remember there's lots of fuck. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. kind of a, a zombie trait, so that's yeah. nothing shocking. No. I look forward to seeing it again. I mean, especially now that like I've seen all of the Halloween movies. Yeah. Maybe I'll watch this and be like, it's not as bad as 4 and onwards up until 2018, you know? I, I think that is true. I think that statement you just made is true. But I again, I haven't seen it in a while, and I have more recently seen the 4, 5, 6, etc. So when I see this, it, I may find out I've been wrong this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out next week. You guys be sure to also... Go check out Brandon Suttles' GoFundMe page to help yeah, cover. Yeah, we'll put it in the, the uh, yeah. episode description. Yeah, that's right. So be sure to click on that. Make a donation to Brandon's cause. Every dollar makes a difference. Seriously, even if it's just a dollar, it all adds up. Having cancer in America 
It's not Ooh, cheap. I know buddy. that's shocking. It's not cheap at all. So Wait, anything you guys can do to help Brandon out would help a lot. They don't just so come pick you up in a helicopter and fly you to the best hospital and use experimental treatments on you? No, they don't. They don't mm. do that. That's crazy. No, not for us. For some people. Oh, wait. If you pay $750 in taxes, do they do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh, more okay. you contribute mm. to the system, the worse your health care is. So oh, that's okay. how that works. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Good. So be sure to help out Brandon. <laughs> and thanks again so much for Brandon for being on today's show. Appreciate Eat that very much. All right, you guys be sure to tune in next week. Everybody be sure to go and fucking vote. Early voting starts. Vote. By now it might have already started. Go out there and fucking vote. If you don't vote, you can't gloat. All right, no vote, no gloat. No vote, no gloat. Go out there and make a change. Please, for the love of God, make a change. Go out there and hit the polls, vote a little bit for us, and tune in next week. We hope you guys are living like a bunch of fancy horses. (laughs) Washing your hands. Yeah, and your fucking ass. Wash that ass. (laughs) And be sure to tune into the show next week. I've been Uncle Ben. I've been Hollywood Steve. We've been Dad and Lovely. Catch y'all later. Ben, have you heard of a game? Wait, shit, we didn't do a three, two, one. <laughs> Leave that in. Right. Here we go. Three, two, one. Pow. All right. Ben, have you heard of a game called Crusader Kings? I don't know. Is that like Twister or is that like the game of life? It's a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Okay. It's, uh, have you ever heard of Civilization? Have you ever played yes. that? Okay. Yes, I know of All that right. one. It's, it is like Civilization, but even more in-depth. Because um, <laughs> that's what Civilization lacked, is depth. Yeah, okay. is depth. <laughs> that's like um, saying, it's so, like Gran Turismo, but realistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's like Forza Motorsport, but you're in a fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, it's Crusader King, so basically you start out as a person, and you you control your little area of the world and you know you can dominate the world or do whatever you want it it basically just ends on a particular year and that's Hmm. it and you determine if you succeeded or not um and you you start as a person and then when that person dies you just become their next their like next person in line and you keep up this dynasty for you know four centuries or so or at least the in theory that's what you do ben i started playing crusader kings 2 yesterday i've never played it before i just heard about it and i love civilization and i heard in more in-depth civilization sounds fucking awesome crusader kings 2's tutorial is um basically fuck you figure it out oh it's and one of those. The, game, okay. the game philosophy is essentially fuck you the deep end <laughs> start there huh i played it for an hour ben i have no idea how to play the game oh no I have no idea and then i found out that uh i don't know if you know the game's dark souls yeah yeah i've heard of those heard they're dark very souls. very easy easy games to play. <laughs> right it's basically the simplest game in the world dark souls is very similar dark souls just throws you right into the deep the deep end but dark souls i could figure out because it's like, well, combat. Like, you yeah. tr- you don't want to get hit, and you want to hit them. This, it was like, what the fuck do you do? Like, okay, <laughs> so 
I'm in the world and I am a king and now what? And the game's just like, <laughs> right, yeah, now what? <laughs> Did you at least get to name your character something cool like, you know, penis breath or something like that? You know, I didn't make a custom character, but I should have. That might have made the game a little bit more fun. <laughs> Maybe that's what I, happens, though, is like if you give your character a cool name, the game starts off and it's totally different. It's like super fun because it's like, you're fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, you named yourself ass breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, my my point is Crusader Kings 2 is insanely impossible to figure out. But yeah, ass breath. 